welcome to episode 58 of Bookum Dano, an old Hawaii Five-O podcast. I am your mean and keen host, Kristen Haas, aka Kiki Writes. We are officially over the halfway point of season five with these two episodes. Episode 13, I'm a family crook, don't shoot, and episode 14, The Child Stealers. And this episode also contains my favorite episode of season five, which means only one thing. The illustrious Daniel Arbudnik of eventually Super Train fame is back to discuss my favorite episode with me. And as you all know, when Dan is here to discuss episodes, we do talk spoilers. So please check the descriptions. I will have the spoilers timestamped so you know when to listen safely if you have not watched the episodes. And if you have not watched the episodes yet, shame on you. You're missing a couple of good ones. Okay. With all of that said... Let's go to Hawaii. Now, as I've told you, that involves writ of certiorari, state and county tax stamps, affidavit transcript fees, ad hoc infinitum. A total of $1,000. In other words, we spend $500 each to get back $5,000? That's it. Here's my $500. Oh, wow, my lousy son-in-law only gave me 200 bucks. Will that do? Well... It'll have to do. Now, I'll file the necessary papers, and I'll call you in approximately 30 days as soon as court approval comes through. You can pick up the money in my office. My car. Oh, there we go. Bye, ladies. What a break, oh, I tell no. you, what a fantastic Hey, there's break. a cab. Are you going east to west? North. Okay, I'll see you later. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Aloha! Fruit on wow. the- ah. <laughs> well, Mr. Lovejoy, can I pick a mark or can I pick a mark? Ms. Lovejoy, honey, your instincts are pure gold. <laughs> a few more like today and you will go to college. Oh, why not a few more now, today? It's still early. Why not? Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> oh, Arnold, I think we're going to love Hawaii. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Season 5, Episode 13, I'm a Family Crook, Don't Shoot. Air date December 19th, 1972, directed by Bob Sweeney. This is his fourth of five episodes and written by Jerome Coopersmith. This is his 13 of 32 episodes. Two women get out of a cab and head to the courthouse where they meet with a lawyer. He informs them that in 30 days, the $5,000 they found will be theirs. They just have to put down $500 for court fees and incidentals and whatnot. One woman has the $500, but the other one only has $200. It'll do. Excitedly, the women part company, Rich is assured. However, one woman is more excited than the other. As it turns out, she's Rhoda Lovejoy. And she meets her husband, the lawyer, Arnold, in the car with their daughter, Melissa, and the $200 they scammed. They're a loving, happy, conning family, and they're really looking forward to their time in Hawaii. Sorry about the incredibly loud movie someone is watching. 
5L reviews the file on bagman, enforcer, and mob accountant Frank Butrell. They have a plan to nab him to bring down Charlie Walter's operation. They're going to nail him at 5 after 4. The Lovejoys are also running their own operation. Rhoda and Melissa are dressed as tourists, and Arnold is dressed as a cop. Rhoda has picked her next mark, a bookkeeper, who just happens to be Frank Butrell. 5-0 has Butrell staked out, counting his stops until he gets back to Walters, but so do some rivals headed by Shibata and the Lovejoys. Melissa runs up screaming that Butrell is her daddy and she wants him to come home. Butrell tries to shake her off, but Rhoda runs up and ma- makes a bigger scene saying that Butrell was hitting Melissa. Arnold, as the cop, comes in to sort things out. Melissa uses this distraction and grabs Butrell's briefcase, running off. Shibata and his men follow Melissa and the bag at a safe distance. Arnold tells the crowd to hold Butrell while he chases after Melissa. Rhoda holds him back, but Butrell pulls a gun. By that point, though, Melissa and his case are long gone. Five-O watches as Butrell pulls up to Charlie Walter's house, sands the bag. They don't know what happened to it. But the Lovejoys do, only they don't know it yet. At the hotel room, Rhoda is raving about having a gun pulled on her. When Arnold points out that Rhoda picked the mark, she turns her anger on Melissa, scolding her for grabbing the mark's briefcase instead of his wallet like she told her to, until Arnold gets the briefcase open, revealing the cash. The celebration is cut short when Arnold realizes that it's a bagman's take. This is not good. Arnold wants to split, but Rhoda points out that they'll be expecting them at the airports. They're in trouble. So is Butrell. Charlie Walters doesn't buy his story about being conned, accusing him of passing the money and list over to rival Shibata before shooting him to death. When Charlie's hood points out that he could be telling the truth, Charlie admits that he could have made a terrible mistake. Steve and Ben turn up at Charlie Walters' house. Steve's always welcome at Charlie's house. Steve asks about Butrell because they know he didn't have Charlie's bag and they know bits of him turned up in a lagoon with three bullet holes in his shirt. All Charlie says is, that's a shame. The Lovejoys come down to the hotel lobby, suspicious of everyone and everything. Sending Melissa off to get some candy and a newspaper, they talk to the hotel manager, claiming to be traveling under an assumed name. He's really a fashion designer, and in his suitcase are designs for the next show that must be kept under lock and key. The hotel manager is happy to oblige. Melissa rushes over with the newspaper. Butrell's death is all over the front page. The Lovejoys work to acquire passage on a ship out of Hawaii. They talk to Mr. Kwan, with whom they have a mutual friend in New Orleans. They need to get off the island incognito, and he can do it. But it will cost them $3,800 to travel third class under assumed names, and they have to have the money by four. Steve tries to get one of Butrell's busted-nosed victims to testify against the other bagman in order to nail Charlie, but he refuses. Charlie has similar issues with one of Shibata's men. He wants a story other than a woman and a kid and a guy dressed as a cop. The Lovejoys return to their hotel room to find their room tossed and the tossers still inside. They're taken to have a conversation with Shibata in his warehouse. He asks where the money is and Arnold gives it up immediately, saying it's in the hotel safe and they'll only give it to him, but he'll be more than happy to get it for them. Unfortunately, these plans are spoiled with the appearance of Charlie Walters and his men. Shibata leaves the Lovejoys to make an escape, promising to talk to them later. Everyone looks on as Shibata and his friends get in the car and blow up. Charlie and his friends enter the warehouse while the Lovejoys scramble to hide. Charlie and his men don't find the money they're looking for, but they do find the Lovejoys' name. 
from her hiding place, Rhoda hears Charlie say that he'll give a big G for anyone who fingers them. Five-O investigates the mess that's left of Shibata and also finds the Lovejoy's name. They run down everyone that with that name on the island and find the Lovejoy's at their hotel room where Danny assures them that they've got no place to go. At Five-O headquarters, Steve offers the Lovejoy's a deal. Help them nail Charlie Walters and they'll see them safely to the mainland. The Lovejoy's turn it down. And it turns out to be a big mistake. <laughs> And as we know, because this is a discussion about my favorite episode, I have to have like one of my favorite people here to do that. And he is the illustrious, the very well-known, the not at all mean Daniel Budnick. How are you, Dan? Thank you, uh, Kristen. It's always an honor being on your show, you pukey little double crosser. <laughs> I'm always so happy to have you here. <laughs> it's a good time. Uh, so why don't we just go ahead and jump right in since we are dealing you, with some, think? some high caliber stars here. Maybe. Should we? Yeah. I'm, I'm kidding, folks. I'm not mean. I'm no. just, I was joking. I was joking with my pukey little friend. <laughs> yes. If you listen to the spoilers, you will understand yes. why Dan is hung up on pukey little double crossers. I'm a nice guy again. Yes. He, he can't stay mean for long. It's just not in his nature. He's just too nice. Usually. Anyway, so this is my favorite episode of the season. I This is number one for me for season five. So tell me, what do you think about I'm a Family Crook? Don't shoot. Well, I mean, the, the moment uh, you get Joyce Van Patten and Andy Griffith showing up, you, you, you know, you think like you think like that's a, that's a team that I've always wanted to see together. And maybe I haven't forgotten about it, but they're so much fun together as a couple with their poor daughter in between them, slightly confused by what's going on, but sometimes joining in the fun. And uh, yeah, so the mo moment you see them, it's like, oh, this is going to be a hoot. And it's, it's, um, and in fact it is, even when it gets <laughs> rather dark at times, and even sort of, although the overall sort of, the, <laughs> I mean, the Lovejoys are a lot of fun, but they're really not nice people. And, but part of the, but, but I, I think this is one of those episodes that if they made it today, it would be sort of considered like a masterpiece of black humor or something like that, you know, because it is very dark. This 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 couple dragging their daughter across the U.S. continental and otherwise to perform con bits and then getting mixed up with crooks who want to kill them and are blowing each other up and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, so so it's it's interesting to kind of watch because the um, it's a very funny episode. It's also it's also got some very tense, exciting moments. Um, I will say the. the Overall, I love the episode. By the way, I thought it was fantastic. the The only thing I didn't really like was the music. Sometimes the music got on my nerves. I'm not sure why that was, but occasionally there were little like motifs that would play, and I would think, "Yeah, I don't think that's that's working right there." But uh, but apart from that, I think I think it's a great episode. That there's a lot going on, but it all works really nice, and it's all it's all it's well written. It's it's very funny. It's it's great to see the five O guys getting involved in 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 this sort of thing, and um and it's it's weird. I watch. I I know um when you pick the episodes for me to watch, I I think I'm watching basically the cream of the crop. But every time I like watch a Hawaii Five O now, I think this is the best show ever, right? <laughs> Because every every episode I watch, I, I get such a kick out of. It. But yeah, this is this is an excellent. This is a very well put together, very sharp, very smart episode, and the kind of thing I think you'd see in a show 
that was sort of four and a half seasons in. It was very sort of comfortable with what it could do and what it can't do. Playing around a bit with what the audience will will um, watch and uh, and uh, yeah, overall it's 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 very it's a very good episode. Not just of Y five O, but I think of television in general. So th- this would this would be something fun that I think you could just show someone and say, hey, this is fun because it's got a nice twisty turny thing and there's some. There's some there's some comedy and like I said some of it is rather dark and it um, goes to some uh, creepy places on occasion and, and you know it's 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 and and it works and and the and the zinger at the end which I'm not which we may talk about later is delightful <laughs> so so overall this is this is a great episode um, I've only seen two episodes from this season this might be one of my favorites yeah it's definitely my favorite because it, it, for all the reasons that she said too it's just the chemistry between Annie Griffith and Joyce Van Patten. And then you have the little girl, her name's Kimberly Lewis. This, she only has one other credit. Oh, wow. And the fact that she's in there holding her own with Mm -hmm. these very well-established adult stars is just magnificent because she could have, it could have been so easy for her to be like the typical over 70, like 60s, 70s, overly cute, overly Disney acting type a little kid but she felt like she belonged in there they Mm -hmm. they felt like a family unit and they're a delightful family unit for ones that commit thievery (laughs) and cons because and they they make they kind of make a point of showing that they're even though they are committing crimes they're largely harmless in the sense that they they don't commit violence against people the opening scam is basically the Nigerian prince scam where they say they have money, they find money and they need the processing fee. And Andy Griffith is pretending to be the lawyer that they go to. That's a scam. Yeah. That's a, that's a scam. Oh, nuts. (laughs) Daniel, we've discussed this. We have, and I always forget it. (laughs) Oh, I'm just bad at scams. You are. It's, it's your, it's your, Good nature. You're just, you're always just so generous. And oh, wait, there's a guy at the door who wants to sell me some solar products. I'll be right back. <laughs> Sit down. Get back here. He just sold me the sun. <laughs> well, share in it. Well, yeah. But anyway, it's just like, so they, they, they scam this lady. They find $5,000, Joyce Van Patten and, and this lady do, and they need $500 for lawyer's fees or whatever so he can file the claim on the money so they can get it and then she produces her five dollars five hundred dollars and the other lady says my lousy son-in-law would only give me like 200 was that enough and i'm like well get a better son-in-law because that's pretty cheap but the (laughs) the fact that um andy griffith just is like yeah that'll work for now Mm -hmm. and takes the money so doesn't like try to force her to give her more than the the what than what she has that woman will never see that $200 or that $5,000 again. <laughs> but it's overall, it's it's harmless in, in the sense that, you know, she lost 200 bucks, but they're not being overly aggressive. They're not being violent, that sort of thing. And then you put them in the context of these criminals who we have the bag man who's going around punching people for the take. And they, they refer to him as the Charlie's accountant. 
Yeah, I like that. I said, you know, I've done some accounting work. They never provide me with the brass knuckles. I have to buy them myself. Well, that's the thing. If I had known that you were given brass knuckles and allowed to, to punch people for their for their funds, then maybe I would have gone into accounting. I think actuaries can do that, but that's about it. Yeah, I have to. I have to look into that. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's great. The, he's the accountant, and then and then they show him with the brass knuckles on. Oh, that kind of accountant. Yeah, he's very very aggressive with his numbers. <laughs> but they show that in that context of you know, here's this guy that's getting this money and putting it in the briefcase, you know, getting the take for the week or whatever, and he's beating people up. So we we have that nice setup of yes, these people are criminals, but they're not as bad as this. Yes. And they're a loving family unit. And these mobsters, not so much considering what happens to Charlie when the bag gets taken. Yeah, that's that, that actually that that's one of my favorite moments in the episode is when Charlie uh, and this isn't a spoiler. This isn't in spoiler territory. No. So I can say this. Oh, so Charlie shoots, shoots Frank dead, shoots him three times yes. uh, because Frank says, but there was a guy dressed as a cop and there was a lady and there was a kid. So there was a guy dressed as a cop. There was a kid. <laughs> there was a lady. Frank drops, and this big goon that he he who's always by Charlie's side, who has a lovely sort of bowl cut. Yes, he um, has very henchman hair. Yeah, and he he just got and his, his delivery of the line, boss, supposing he was telling the truth, <laughs> is just so nice because it's so he's such a huge guy. He's just watched a man get gunned down in cold blood, and he's and you know he he says it with conviction, but with sort of a calm my boss still has a gun conviction. And he's the, he's the kind of guy, when you look at him, you think he was probably hired because he was a, just a really big guy, but he delivers that line quite, quite lovely. I mm-hmm. would have given him applause after that take for that. Yeah. He, 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 he seemed genuinely like concerned of what if he was, what mm-hmm. if he was telling the truth? And then Charlie does come back with, well, then I made a terrible mistake. <laughs> yes. And that's, that's one of those moments, like, if if this if that were played today, it would be like people would point out, like, what a wonderfully dark, hilarious moment. Well, I made a terrible mistake. That's almost like Job from Arrested Development. I made a terrible mistake kind of thing. And, and uh, but, but watching it in this, you're like, just because of the time period, like, wow, that's... This guy's a little rough, and it's it's it feels a little different, but it's also it also works, which is which is very nice. Yeah, it's kind of a juxtaposition of the the he Charlie's a bit unhinged in a very violent way, mm-hmm. and then you have the, kind of the craziness of the Lovejoys because they're a little over the top as well. Yeah, so you have like kind of dueling over the top, and then you get Shibata involved with his hat, and <laughs> you so you I'm have so- these like really big personalities kind of all yes. balancing each other out. And they keep, yeah, they keep intersecting and bouncing off yes. of one another. It's really, it's, it's, it's one of those those episodes where you think this, this probably with a little tweaking and expansion could have been a feature. Like, yeah. Like a, maybe not a Hawaii Five O movie. You would have probably wanted to do something more straightforward, um, sort of more standard. Uh, but, but this could have been if they did a second Hawaii Five O movie and they wanted to get a little quirky, they yeah. could have expanded this to like ninety minutes, a hundred minutes it, easily because there's so much going on. Charlie. Suppose he was telling us the truth. Ah, come on. Suppose he was. And I made a terrible mistake. The whole thing is like the Lovejoys are in Hawaii looking for for marks. And Joyce Van Patten picks out Frank. And at the same time that 
they're surveilling Frank. Five O is surveilling Frank <laughs> because they're they're waiting for him to take basically lead him to the, the Charlie. They know he's he got ninety eight thousand dollars. I don't know if you mentioned that already, but yes. that's an astounding amount in nineteen seventy three two. This was seventy two. In a seventy two. Although the calendar in Shabbat's place says December seventy one. When they're going to that big toilet thing or whatever it is to escape, yeah, there's a big cal- that says December seventy one. I thought maybe they just haven't changed the calendar there because I think this aired December seventy two, if I remember correctly. Yes, December seventy two. So I think they were just behind on their calendar changing. Probably couldn't find oh. a good new one for seventy two, and they just said leave <laughs> it. It's fine. No one looks we're at it. For, they were probably looking for one with broads. Yeah, probably. On it. There, there were none available. Well, I got this one with cats, right. Mister Shabbat. <laughs> okay, put it up. So we have Five O watching Frank, mm. and then we also have Shibata's and his men yes. watching Frank, and so they all kind of collide. Well, Five O misses it because they're only watching certain stops, mm. waiting for him to. They, so they know he picks up stops, and he's in between stops when Melissa comes running in, and she grabs onto Frank and starts <sighs> screaming, "Daddy, Daddy, come home, Daddy, Daddy!" It makes this huge scene, and it is absolutely hilarious. Yes, because. Joyce Van Patten lets her go for a minute. Then she comes running up and she's like, are you hitting that child? Stop hitting that child. And Uh, 100% pure Van Patten. It is. It is. And then you have this crowd starts coming in and then Andy Griffith's there dressed as a cop and he comes running in and it's just pure madness. And then Melissa steals the briefcase with the take money that they don't realize is take money. We have to point Mm. that out. They do not realize he's anything more than a bookkeeper. And she takes off running. Shibata is smart enough to watch her, but by the time Frank gets himself untangled from that crowd, because he has to pull a gun to do it, and yes. freaks Rhoda out. And <laughs> they he's finally able to escape, and he realizes that the bag and the kid are gone, yeah. which is what he has to go tell Charlie, and that's when Charlie shoots him and puts yes. some holes in his nice shirt, as yeah, Steve tra- says later. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, and Charlie is very resistant to the whole fake cop kid um, yes. ma- uh, lady story because later on when he's interrogating one of Shibata's men, <laughs> I think it starts off with they're like holding the guy down and he's kind of sweaty and he looks like he's maybe been hit, slapped around a little bit. And the scene basically begins with Charlie saying, tell me what happened and don't mention a cop yeah. or mention a kid. You know, and, and you're waiting for him to say, well, there was a cop and a kid and a womp. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I do love at the beginning of that scene that it opens with Charlie slapping him, and that dude does yeah. not sell that slap at all. Like, not <laughs> at all. No. He's like, I am a beefy dude. Hit me harder than that. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, yeah that, that's because that's, yeah, that is. It's the recurring theme until they finally get to Shibata's warehouse and mm-hmm. he sees the name and he's like, maybe there is. <laughs> <laughs> like, it took you how long yeah. and how much yeah. violence to get to this point, but. Love joys. Love Joyce. The con man? Could be. So I do love that um, when they get back, when the Lovejoys get the briefcase back to the hotel room, Rhoda is losing mm-hmm. her mind. Now, here's the thing. Yes. Do not tell me that Joyce Van Patten is not brilliant because I will fight you She's in great. an alley. She's great. I just saw her in MAME. Really? I MAME every Thanksgiving weekend. I watch uh, – uh, Mame with Lucille Ball, and she she's in that. She's um one of the uh, the Southern Bells that tries to make a fool out of Mame when she goes to a uh, Beauregard's plantation or whatever the hell that is thing huh. they live on. Yeah, 
Yes, well, and she's great in it. She's got the southern accent. She's delightful. Yes, she is delightful, and she puts on basically an acting clinic for three minutes in that hotel room because it starts with her ranting about having a gun pulled on her, and Annie Griffith tells her, you know, you picked the mark, mm-hmm. it's over, you know, and so she can't get a rise out of him, so she turns to Melissa and starts yelling at her about how I told you to get his wallet, not his briefcase. So she's pissy. Tells Melissa to go over because Andy Griffith's opening the briefcase. And they're st- she's standing there looking pissy. And then the, the briefcase comes open. You see all of the money. We go from rage to joy. Yeah. <laughs> like she's now planning to send Melissa to every single <laughs> college. And then when as soon as Andy Griffith brings up the brass knuckles, we go from joy to we are screwed. It's just this glorious roller coaster of emotion from one person in like three minutes. It's amazing. Yes. And it's great. And it's sort of anchored by Melissa having a look on her face like they've never had anything quite like this happen. But Melissa's look is kind of like, okay, ma, you, okay, ma, yeah, ma, whatever. And Andy Griffith kind of calmly setting the briefcase down and trying to keep his wife cool as he opens it up and has a look at it. And then that, that yeah, that moment of, oh, my God. And then, ooh, the brass knuckles. Yeah. I think something went wrong. To say it as great as it could be. Yeah. I just, it's it's just a great scene, I think, just mm-hmm. the way it, it plays out. And then, so now the Lovejoys know they are in trouble with some big fish, and they are little fish. So they're trying to get off the island. And first, Andy Griffith was, like, going to call in the airport and buy tickets because you could, you know, do that back then. You could buy last-minute tickets mm-hmm. right there. But she wrote a stop him and says, okay, that's where they'll be looking. They will be, they yeah. will have muscles and guns. We don't want to go to the airports. So they know they need to get off the island. They they decide to go for a ship. But the fact that they go downstairs to the hotel, to the front desk. Oh, yes. And they do this, <laughs> what I feel is like an unnecessary con. <laughs> because they could have just taken that suitcase and said, listen, would you mind keeping this in the safe? I don't yes. think the hotel would ask what was the in hotel it. The hotel doesn't care, yeah. They would be like, oh, yeah, sure, we'll do that. But instead, they do this con in which Andy Griffith pretends to be a rather gay uh, fashion designer, and his and his <laughs> Patton is his rather butch um, <laughs> a style consultant or something like that. Yeah, yeah that's what I have written here, gay, gay and butch. And I'm which just, I think I think was like a, my dad's my dad used to be called Butch when he was young, and I think his best friend was a guy named Gay. Really? So is Gay and Butch. That would have been a fun detective team. In I was. I, that's what I was thinking. Wow. I bet. I bet in another country. Yeah. There's. A, I love sure. that. That's my new detective team that I want now. <laughs> but yeah, they do this really unnecessary con. I yeah. think, but it's fun. It is fun. Because Andy Griffith is like, he touches the guy's hand in a very sensual way. And the guy is like on the inside going, this job does not pay me enough. (laughs) But he doesn't like overtly freak out. Yeah. And then while they're doing this, they sent Melissa off because she wants candy. And then they also tell her to get a newspaper. And she's like, do you want candy? You know how to get candy. And she, we see her con the uh, gift shop, dude. And it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, yeah. she's, because she's like, can you give us change, give me change for a quarter, but here, take off for this candy, take off for this newspaper, keep the change and leaves and never gives him the quarter. Yeah. And it's just beautiful. Yeah. It's really nicely done. All in one take. So it's just, there's the, uh, the cashier's in the foreground. She's in the background. There's a customer there paying for something and she just kind of rambles in the back, says her stuff and then, all right, dear. And she leaves. And then did she give me that quarter? And the guy's like, Hey man, 
I'm the non-speaking extra. <laughs> no, I think he does say something. He's like, I don't know. He can't speak. That's another. That's a hundred dollars. Yeah. I think the thing with the um, the uh, the uh, the hotel guy, who I like to think it was maybe like the hotel manager or something. He was prob- probably just a desk clerk, but he had a feel of a hotel manager to him. Yeah. I I, th- I think the thing is that later on in the episode, don't you like you see Charlie and the Mr. Bullcut there waiting for the Lovejoys, and I think he's behind the counter and he's like, "Are the Lovejoys expecting you?" Yeah, we're just gonna wait here for him. Okay, and there's just these two big guys just <laughs> leaving there, I guess the thing, and the and the desk clerk's like. Eh, whatever yeah. we get all kinds through here well and, especially uh, if you put it in the context of you know he's putting his suitcase in the the safe because of industrial espionage that people yes. might steal his fashion designs so then you see charlie and Bullcut show up yeah. <laughs> looking well, for them and go. he's just like the fashion industry is incredibly strange that's true because because um earlier on Charlie mentions shows off how expensive his shirt is to McGarrett. That's true. So the so monogram. there could be a thing where he sees the shirt and go, Oh, this guy has a really expensive shirt. I bet he's in the fashion design with that uh with his bowl cut friend and his own cutely cropped haircut. Yes. And uh <laughs> And I'd, I'd like to – one of the things I like with that scene in Charlie, I don't know if I can explain this correctly, but I, I love one of the things where like when you have people in movies or TV shows or just in the world who in their space are super important. In Charlie's house, Charlie is the king. Um, the places where he takes protection from, he lords it over them. But at a huge hotel like this where he has no clout, he's he and Bullcut are just two dopes. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's just I just I just love that sort of thing where like you 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 can be a king, and then you step into this place and suddenly no one knows who you are, no one cares, and you, you're a dope. And then you step out, it's like oh, Mister Mister Winters, how you doing? And it's it's I, I kind of like that because the um, there's never a point where the bank manager is like, are you guys gangsters? <laughs> the guy doesn't care. The guy doesn't care. He's like I I, I had to do a twelve hour shift today. I got fifteen minutes left. If the Lovejoys show up before then, great. If if not, I'm out of here. I'm going home and watch Hawaii Five O. Yeah, the new one. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, your problems are no longer my problems. As soon as I clock out, sorry. <laughs> exactly. Oh, may I ask one thing? Yes. At one point, I think as they're um, as they're going, and McGarrett says something as they're uh, Frank arrives at Charlie's at four p.m. every Friday with the bag and goes in, and when he's He's talking to the guys who are going to be watching the house. He he says something like, oh, oh no, he says, um, when he, he gets to the end of his speech and he says, today we move in at five after four. And I thought, all right. And I thought, what does that mean? Today we move in five after four. That's what it said on the subtitles and that's what he says. And I thought, does that mean the F- Hawaii Five-0 moves in after four when he says that? I just wrote this line down because I thought it was amusing and I don't what? know what it means. Oh, I think I know what it means. because the bag man shows up at four, so they're going to go in at five after four and catch him, catch Charlie with the five bag in the list. Four. Okay, because the way he the way he said it is he, he it wasn't like today we move in at five after four. It was more like today we move in five after four. Oh. And it was it was sort of like five after four. What? Yeah, okay. I, okay. Right. Yeah. That's, the the uh, delivery of the time was a little awkward. Okay. Okay. So it was it was the way he delivered the line. Okay. Yeah. Now I know everyone's listening right now and saying, if he comes back for season six, I am going to write a fiercely worded letter to this Ms. Hawes about her guests, and she will probably just delete it. So <laughs> <laughs> it's my today show. Need- I get to do what I want. <laughs> today we move in at five after four. That's right. 
five after four. I thought he meant five zero, like when he said, and that was sort of like some code or something. You know, today the five zero moves in after four. I'm well, an idiot. I mean, well, I'm just actually, sit quiet I mean, for the next two minutes, I'm in the corner. <laughs> Well, to be fair, Dan, that could be that. Could, I mean, it plays the other way too, of saying that five zero mm-hmm. moves in. So five zero moves in after four. Yeah, I mean, five after four. Yeah, it could it could have been somewhat coded. It could <laughs> it be could like be. a double entendre, it but it's be. Hawaii five zero double entendre. <laughs> Today we move in at five after four. The, the, Were the Lovejoys expecting you, ma'am? So Sorry. no, the Lovejoys weren't expecting me because the Lovejoys are trying to get off the island. Yes, quickly. And they, they go to this bar. Now, here's the thing. They go to this bar. They're all wearing sunglasses. And I love the fact that the sunglasses are a recurring theme. In yeah. the, every, they, they're using them for to, like, disguise themselves. Because they obviously think that they that these bad people know exactly who they are. And they don't. They don't have a clue. Charlie doesn't even yeah. believe they exist. He thinks they're unicorns. So, but they put on those sunglasses. And then, so, when they knock on the door later at the hotel room, when Five yes. O shows up, they put on the sunglasses and when they get a phone call at the bar later, they put on the sunglasses. Yes. And it's all done casually. I don't remember any moment where they make a big deal out of it. It's just something they do. Yeah. Well, like, what ex- are they doing? Except what? in the, the, well, the hotel room, uh, Rhoda can't find hers at first. And oh, she's scrambling right. yes, to yes. find them. And, yeah, yeah. and Andy Griffith is like, hurry up. But <laughs> so they're, they're standing there with these sunglasses. It's a bar. They're bringing a child into a bar. This would be odd if it wasn't 1972. But mm-hmm. since it was, nobody even bats an eye. Yeah. And they talk to uh, a ship captain that they have a mutual friend um, in New Orleans, I guess. And the ship cap- captain is played by Quan Hai Lim, who was um, – he was a, detec- the detective on Magna P.I., the 1980s Magna P.I. And I'm just blanking on his name. Um, <laughs> shame on me. But he he was fabulous. Tanaka, I think. <laughs> detective Tanaka. And, um, but he, so every time I, he shows up multiple in multiple episodes of Hawaii Five O, but every time I see him, I just think of him as the detective on Magna PI. But he's so he's the ship's captain, he has the hat and everything. And he finally agrees to take them off island discreetly, mm-hmm. um, under the name of Smith. $3,800 for the three to three of them, third class, yeah, under the name of Smith. And I'm just yeah. like. That is basically like you were doing coach airline tickets back in 1972. <laughs> That's what yeah. you get now. Yeah, yeah. Do they get peanuts on their excursion <laughs> to the mainland? I'm just curious. Yeah, I imagine whatever room. I I imagine the boat was sort of like uh, there's a, a great uh, uh, late 60s uh, animated film called Mad Monster Party. Mm-hmm. And and in that movie, there's a scene where all the all the monsters and characters travel over in this awful boat with these gross little cabins that are just like metal boxes with a door on it. And I'm like, I, that's what I imagine them being in. A, how long would it take to get from there to the mainland on a boat? Um, Does it take days, or is it, I, I it takes have no it idea. takes days. Um, back in the back in the day, I don't know how long the cruise ships take now, but yeah, it took days. To do, and they were probably in crappy accommodations, but they don't care because they want to get off this island, and it's yeah, pretty true. clear that they're going to use the money from the bag to pay their way. But then yeah. they, they get back to the hotel room and find out that um, Shibata has yes, Shibata and his men have ripped it apart. But the best part is, is that <laughs> Rhoda is like savages. We are dealing with savages because <laughs> they yeah. ripped apart the room. <laughs> And the savages are still there, which Melissa Ooh. points out. 
So then we get them going to the the warehouse, and this is like one of I my favorite things, is because they get out of the car, and one of the henchmen scoops up Melissa and Rhoda, like. Even though she's had a gun shoved in her face at one point, these people have guns. She is not deterred. She starts beating the crap out of this dude with her purse, (laughs) saying, "Let her go." Yeah. (laughs) And she, and then she get he does, and she grabs her daughter and she holds up that purse very threateningly, and she's like, "Don't you come near her." (laughs) I I like the henchmen because there's a feeling with the henchmen that these aren't the normal sort of people they bring in to see their boss, so they're not a hundred percent sure how much. Like muscle to use on them, <laughs> yeah. kind of. And and you, it becomes kind of clear that they don't want to like challenge her after yeah, that because yeah. it's like we're the bad guys. We have guns, and she's yeah. walloping us with our purse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. just a, we're not. We there was no henchman training in this. Yeah, this no. Is this, this is, is new. And then they get in there, and Shibata is like, "Okay, where's the money?" And the and pulls a gun on Rhoda again, puts it right in her face, and he's like, "You tell me, or she's." is going to get it. And Andy Griffith like has no hesitation. It's in the hotel safe, but they'll only give it to me. So I, I'll take you to go get it. Like just, yeah, absolutely. I will give you your mm-hmm. money. No problem. Mm-hmm. And they're like, great. But then Charlie shows up and I love this because Charlie shows up with all of his men. Shibata decides that that's too many men. So they're going to leave, but they don't take the love joys with them. Mm-hmm. They leave them behind so they can make their escape, only they do not escape well. They blow up. (laughs) And you just see car parts flying. Yes, that tire is great. Yes, and dropping near where Charlie is casually leaning with (laughs) with bowl cut. And you see Shibata's hat, his pimp hat, fly through the air. (laughs) It is just so beautifully done. It's ridiculous, (laughs) but not. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. And then Charlie and his men come into the warehouse because they're looking for the money because they're sure that Shibata has the bag. So then the Lovejoys have to scramble to hide. (laughs) (laughs) And they're running all over hell looking for a place to hide. And that's Uh, when Charlie finds the Lovejoy's name and goes, well, gee, maybe these people actually do exist. Uh He's only had to, like, murder, like, six people at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Like they say in the beginning, you know, Charlie and, uh, you know, with Frank and everything, you know, Charlie acts like he owns the island, you know, and that's that's the exact sort of feeling what you get when you look at him. Yeah. But really, like I said, he goes and talks to a hotel manager and the hotel manager is like, your name again? So it's, it's maybe, maybe you're not as extensive as you think yeah. you are. It's like, yeah, if you're not, I guess you're, if you're not providing protection mm-hmm. to a certain subset of people, then they don't know you and they don't care. What are you doing? Ah! I do like that though that speaking of protection that Steve brings in the guy that they had that oh, yes. his nose broken and he's explaining that if we can get you to testify then we can, you know, take care of Charlie, we'll put him away. And that guy's like, I don't know what you're talking about, and he's sitting there with a bruised nose and and the <laughs> the brace yeah, like on his nose. <laughs> Like his nose is shoved full of gauze. It's like, I don't yes. know what you're talking he, about. I have no idea. Which, I, I totally ran into a door. <laughs> See the frustration there. Like, oh, God, sir, please. Yes. And so that's how Five O ends up getting the Lovejoy's name as well because Charlie takes the paper with the name, but they, but uh, Steve does the etching, the, mm-hmm. you know, the whatever. The, you know, that thing they do. Like, with the gravestone rubbing is what I always think yes. of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the, gets the love joys. 
yeah. name because they have to go investigate, obviously, the blown up Shivana. Yes. And they're like, what a mess. And they, they liken it to like the Valentine's Day massacre. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, but they so they start looking for the Lovejoys. Their resources are a little bit better than Charlie's, I think, mm-hmm. since they're just like, yeah, just look for anybody on the island with that name. And they find them. Danny goes to the the hotel room. And what's ha- just absolutely hilarious is, like, Andy Griffith's like, I'm stall them. I'm going to try to find a way out of here. And he's, like, going to go out the window. Yes, that's right. He immediately goes to the window. Where are you going? <laughs> and then, like, he disappears in the bathroom at one point, And she's trying to stall him, asking for ID and stuff. And then she finally opens the door, and there's Danny. And she's like, and he's like, yeah, and tell your husband forget about it (laughs) (laughs) and they're all sitting there with their sunglasses on Mm -hmm. (laughs) it is uh it is it is very nicely done really it is the the the, every every sort of the scripting to the direction to the acting to like like i said the music is the only spot occasionally i i I say and it could be just me there were occasional moments where the music kind of struck me as um oh i don't know that didn't quite work for me, the, the music. But uh, yeah. but then I'm no, I, I'm not a, I'm not a composer. So maybe it's all right, and I'm all wrong. <laughs> Remember that thing I did earlier with the five and four? Yeah. Well, you know, the personal tastes. Yeah. Personal true. tastes. So they end up bringing them in, and it's great because Steve asks, "Is this child in school?" And immediately Joyce Van Patten's like, "We do our own tutoring." And I'm like, "Yes, <laughs> she's very, very well educated in yeah. her conning." <laughs> and I love that when they're talking business. Steve excuses the child. She doesn't, he doesn't want her in there. So he has chin taker for an ice cream soda. And I'm like, those two, I wish I had a scene for that. Cause those two had the best time. You just know they did. Cause chin's got like eight kids. So he knows how to relate. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So they went and had an ice cream soda to see. It's, it's, it's fun. You watch it. Sometimes you think like, Oh, the scenes, the scenes they didn't think to write. Maybe in the, maybe, um, when they do the featured version of it, that'll be a scene they include. Yeah, that yeah. See, if that was extended, and they would have had time for it. We we get a little more insight into the little girl and sort of her thoughts on like what the heck is going on, you know what? what yeah, why yeah. Considering <laughs> she's sometimes the adult of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she's the one yelling at them that there's somebody at the door, and yeah. oh, she was the one that found out that when um, Frank's murder made the front page, she was oh, the one yes. that saw it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she's yeah, a little that, she's a little more adult sometimes. Yeah, that that would have been an interesting scene to see just like what like like a little, a little backstory with the Lovejoys, you know, are they have they been conning for do we know have they been conning for decades? Have they were they conning before Melissa was born and and this just continued it or did did they have a regular job and they were raising their daughter and they one day they discovered they had a knack that maybe they accident we accidentally conned somebody. I don't know if you can do that. Can you accident? I guess you can, right? I mean, maybe. maybe. I don't know. I don't hey, know. Uh, I, can it I just, change reporter? Yeah, it kind of feels like they've been doing this for a long time. That they've been doing this. Yeah. It kind of feels like they were two peas in a pod that were conning separately, met and, and fell they, in love. They accidentally and, conned each other. Yeah, they kind of conned each other. And then oh just gosh, and beautiful. and just decided this is this is our life because they kind of point that out with Steve when he's talking about we'll give you a deal, have you testify against Charlie, you know, to get this case and everything, and um, they won't do it. 
because yeah. they said that their livelihood depends on basically the grace of the bigger fish. Yeah. And this is the life that they live. And so there, it kind of implies that, yeah, they've been doing this for a really long time and we're just going to automatically raise their daughter in the same lifestyle. Why would you settle down and be normal? There's something about the way they do it, too, where it's like, um, you know, they finish one. Like, do you want to do another? Yeah, let's let's do it. You know, it's just like, and they go right out there and they do another. You know, it's like um, I, I don't it's 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 like to, to me, like if like if I did one sort of con job like that, I need a little break, maybe a half day or let's do it tomorrow. But they're they just get so excited doing it. Yeah, yeah, like, they they have a very much so a joy in their work. You love what you do. You'll never work a day in your life. Exactly. And that's mm-hmm. the love joys. They love what they yes. do. Exactly. And I, I love that too. Like they, they just do it. And they, one more. Yeah, let's do it. All right. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, Andy Griffith seems to have a constant supply of costumes. He's a priest at one point. You know, he's a cop. He's a priest. He's yes. he's in the nice suit for the lawyer. He's, he's got an Aloha he's, shirt. He's with Gay and Butch. Yeah. And it's just it's all great stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's... He, he can play any role, truly. Mm-hmm. And this this was, I mean, after this this was that point where he was starting to branch out and like do other sort of non Andy and Mayberry type characters, lots of TV movies and things. So this was the yeah. Pray for the Wildcats era. Um, somewhere around here was when he did that those two or three movies as like that detective, and I want to say the Pacific Northwest or something like that. Yeah, he, yeah, I know what you're talking about. He he was just he was just stretching out sort of all over the place, just doing different sort of. Different sort of characters showing showing what Andy Griffith could mm-hmm. do. And he could do a lot. He was great. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And I did. And when he, you know, and when he does come out pretending to be the lawyer, what did you think? Oh, <laughs> I didn't Matlock. Think anything. Oh, I was going to say Matlock. Matlock. We, we didn't, oh, we, we rehearsed I can't that believe I didn't. Think... Her line. No, I'm kidding. I can't believe I didn't <laughs> think about Matlock. You know why? Because I, I, I like to think. At because his suit that, wasn't thought, gray, and Matlock always oh, wore right, a yeah. gray suit. So that's what threw me, the wrong colored suit. <laughs> well, it's one of those things like, you know, in the initial Columbo movie, Columbo doesn't quite dress the way he does. Oh, the show. so you're saying this is like, you know, that, that pilot feel. Yes, that pilot where the, sometimes things are just a little off. Because the, the moment he came out, came out and he was doing lawyering, all I, all I could think was, there's the young Matlock. <laughs> Yeah, now that you say it, now it puts it into my head. <laughs> uh, they're great together. They're they're really great uh, together. Um, and Joyce Van Patten, when does she do? When does she do the in a, her Columbo? It's a couple years after this, or I forget when it is. Where she's the um, think so. is she a museum curator or something? If I remember correctly, yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's a it's a good one. She's she's very good. Yeah. Did her did her and Dick ever do stuff together? I'm sure they did. I yeah, never... I. Th- think so don't quote me on it but i'm pretty sure they did i would have watched a uh, van patten christmas variety hour I like the osmonds shows yes. throughout the 70s i would have watched that wow. absolutely i would have that would have been oh, magnificent with best friends andy griffith and jack lord <gasps> yes that would have been just oh. phenomenal i would watch it every year mm-hmm. <laughs> it would be a tradition That's a great degree the, the great thing about the uh, this episode too is we, we've talked so much about um, uh, the Lovejoys and the gangsters. We barely talked about the Five O gang, apart from that thing that I didn't understand, <laughs> which I hope got edited out. And this line means nothing. I know we have because you know Five O has been in the background, kind of mm-hmm. investigating, it's... trying to figure out what happened to the bag, what happened to Frank, mm-hmm. 
they don't know anything about the Lovejoys until they find their name. And then, mm-hmm. you know, they insinuate themselves. Yeah. So, yeah, they're kind of in the background for a big part of this episode, they, which is not are. necessarily a bad thing because there is so much going on and it is so entertaining. You kind of don't mm-hmm. notice yeah. that there's not a whole lot of fiboing yeah, exactly, yeah. happening. And, and, and you've, see, you've seen them so often. You've seen them do their thing. It's, it's nice to have one that focuses more on the um, – that that focuses on like the love joys with yeah. with you know intersecting with five O at certain points. It's yeah, funny. it's nice it's nice to give them a little break. Mm-hmm. You know, we know they're in the background investigating things. We saw we saw the opening credits. We know it's yeah. Hawaii Five O. We know, we know. Jack Lord is there. We know. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. you can always feel his presence. He's always and whatever he's on the screen. You know, he's he's you know commanding in that McGarrett way. He you know, is. So it's not like, he it's is. not like he suddenly starts to goof or he shows up dressed as a fashion mogul or something like that. Well, he does. Although. He does in his off hours. Now, in the office, he's very put together <laughs> and he's very subdued. But in his off hours, his wardrobe is absolutely magnificent. His time is his own. Yes. And one of the overall great things about the show is since it ran from, what, like 68 to 80 or so, is that's a hell of a time like to span fashion wise it and is such. and i document his fashion every chance i get oh. because mm-hmm. he does he makes just amazing his off-duty fashion is just it's so different from what he wears to the office mm-hmm. and it's so expressive and beautiful and colorful and just not what you would think mcgarrett would wear mm-hmm. and he, yet and yet it's exactly what mcgarrett would wear <laughs> it just makes me so happy what did you think Hawaii was going to be? One big, fat, juicy pineapple? Um, so the Lovejoys decline Five O's help, and they realize they can't get back to the to their money because, or the money they've stolen because Charlie's hanging out with Bullcut mm-hmm. at the front desk. So they they go to work. They tell Melissa, "We got to go to work." So they send her to the movies mm-hmm. for a double feature, and I just like the like how it's no big deal, even though they're they're scrambling to get this money so they can get off the island. But just telling the kid, well, mommy and daddy have to go to work, so you're going to the movies. Mm-hmm. It's it's they make it sound very normal for them that this is yeah. like it's like saying you know mommy and daddy are are going to run some errands, you're going to go hang out next door with the neighbor, you know. Mm-hmm. Just it's very normal for them, and they go and start- they come up with their cons like super quick. I oh mean, they, yeah, they must have like a book or something that they reference. It- like we can do this right now. Yeah, because they, they immediately go and pretend that he just got out of jail. So they con this reverend out of his car, which they then put up as collateral for loans and put like sell to a dealer um, who will give them so much money if the radio works. And that's how they get all their money like super fast. They just they have done these cons so often that they're like, yep, this is the easiest way to do this. So they ended up like using that car like three different times to score yeah. money. Mm-hmm. And they go back. They don't have enough. They say they'll get enough. The ship captain is like, okay, fine, whatever. And that's when they get the phone call from Charlie while they're at the bar. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it's great, too, because they're like, the Lovejoys aren't here. They just left. And the guy, the bartender is like, you better take this phone call or somebody will get hurt. And they find mm-hmm. out that uh, Charlie has Melissa. She wasn't the only one that went to the movies, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, they're keeping an eye on. Uh, I'd like to think maybe the, uh, maybe some of the, the the goons were in the movie or whatever, and they looked over and like, hey, hey. isn't that that little Lovejoy girl? Yeah. Hey, Lovejoy! And she looks over, <laughs> like, oh yeah, what a coincidence. We were both of the same double feature. 
So this is the point of the discussion where the spoilers begin. If you have not watched this episode, shame on you. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and you wish to avoid spoilers, then this is the time. Definitely check the timestamps. I will have more accurate timestamps. But the spoilers begin right stat now. You pukey little double crosses, I want to... Oh my god! <laughs> I wanted to yell I wanted to yell out a spoiler and then suddenly I forgot all of them. Turns out I'm a pukey little double crosser. <laughs> well, we're about to get Which really... Is what? Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're about to really understand the pukey little double crossers. <laughs> because with Melissa being kidnapped and held, the Lovejoys really kind of have no help, no choice to get mm-hmm. 5-0's help. And so 5-0 goes in, and all we see of this setup is that they're kind of agreeing to go in almost wired. And the pin is like a transmitting device. That's what he cl- yes. what Andy Griffith will click to bring 5-0 in. But they're tasked with taking the money back to Charlie and they're going in the book, and they're going to catch him with it. That's the whole point. So we don't actually see all of this plan because they're very concerned that Melissa might be hurt and... Because Steve says something to the effect of, you know, are you willing to do one more thing, I guess, for your daughter? So we never see what that one more thing is until we get there. And they bring in this case. The family is reunited. But Charlie insists on the money being tested. Oh, yes. And it's the doctor. It's straight up Mr. Wizard's world. (laughs) He's whipping out a Bunsen burner and beakers and liquids and I'm like, what are you testing for? Yeah. Just, uh, that was the chemistry and now the radiology. Okay. All right. Just keep going. Whatever. Yeah. So I'm not exactly sure what the chemistry part was, I guess, to see if it was fake, if the money was fake or if so, they yeah. doctored it somewhere. I don't know. But then he brings out, you know, the radiology. So what you're telling me is they're putting radiation on the money to help track it. That is not cancer concerning at all yeah that's a little little uh (laughs) i'm guessing it's a low-key kind of thing that's not gonna make your hair fall out that that doctor guy like like uh there there was a line cut out where maybe um like uh like the lovejoys look at charlie and charlie says something like he's my (laughs) brother-in-law he likes to play science he's not actually doing anything because it's it's funny because they do linger on it for quite some time as he sets everything up, and I almost expected Charlie to say, uh, "Could you could you hurry it up?" But he he sets everything up, and for a second I thought, "Oh my God, he's going to shoot up. He's prepping <laughs> some heroin or something." It looks like, but no, he does like a thing where he puts the thing one over the thing, and he snaps it a couple times, and the chemistry's done. And I thought, "Wow." Yeah, I, I guess it's nice work if you can get it right. Yeah, because apparently you know what you were doing. You could fake that; nobody would know what you were doing. But as long yeah. as you look like you know what you're doing, it's all yeah, good. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It's one of those great jobs where I don't know exactly what he's doing, but damn, I'm convinced. <laughs> yes, yes, he is obviously doing things. He's obviously doing something. I'm watching it happen. Yeah, I realize that it's like helping to to um, amp up the tension. As we're waiting to see what kind of trickery would have that five O did that Steve yes. came up with, and nothing happens, and then they do the radiology thing, and nothing happens, and then they have to count the money, and I can't remember how much you said that it was, but it was a lot, it was like ninety eight thousand. Yes, or? and so they're counting this money. I'm like, that's going to take forever. 
And I thought if they just showed the doctor set up his whole thing, they're going to, one, two, yeah. three. Hey, Charlie, do you want a cup of coffee? Yeah, four, five. How many sugars? I take three, four, <laughs> five. They, yeah. cut, they cut it out, folks. They cut That's, that out. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend in the feature-length version, including the entire We Count the Money scene. No, that might just kill kill the vibe a little too much. 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 Yeah. Yeah, so they, they end up counting the money, and he's short, two stacks and he like loses his mind and then andy griffith says oh (laughs) well as it is he had had him stuffed in his shirt because you know con's gonna con and that's what you think that is until he clicks on his pen five-o comes busting in not before charlie like grabs the briefcase and the list and says throw this in the incinerator and i'm just like that you wasted a perfectly good briefcase yeah. <laughs> just the book would have been easier and would have burned faster, but mm-hmm. now it's in a suitcase that's going to take longer. But whatever, <laughs> you didn't ask me. <laughs> they should have. They don't know. They don't know. They don't know. They don't know. And so Five O is raiding. And this is the point when they see that Five O is surrounding the house and is raiding. This is the point where Charlie calls the Lovejoys Dan. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> You pukey little double crossers. Yes. Yes. It's a great line. I'm sorry. I, th- I thought maybe you'd do it that time. So I paused. <laughs> Why would I say it when you have has, true, you've got true. such a good delivery? True. 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 <laughs> you own that line now, Dan. <laughs> it's all mine. It's all mine. Yeah. So the 5-0 comes in and the money is still on the desk, and, which I love. Yeah, that's right. Because Charlie says something snotty about, you know, what is this unpaid parking tickets? And uh, Steve says something to the effect of, well, it looks like you could afford them. (laughs) There's just a pile of money on his desk. And they bring in the beloved Chafong to test the money. And it turns out that none of the money that was in the briefcase was hot, but the money that Andy Griffith had was hot. And Charlie loses his his mind. (laughs) And he's like, this isn't mine. The rest of this is mine. But this isn't mine. That's your money. But He got 5 owed. Yes, he did get 5 would because Andy Griffith said, no, that's your money, and I'll testify to it in court. And it was just like, oh, burn. And then there's there's, there's a moment where earlier on, um, I I forget, is it, um, does Andy Griffith's character, does Arnold, does Arnold call himself Errol Flynn, or does, I forget exactly what it is, because. Oh, Joyce Van Patten, when she, he's thinking about going out the window, she goes, who do you think you are, Errol Flynn? Yeah, and then and then at the end when they they um, he he says he'll he'll testify against Charlie, and Rhoda says something like you know never you know never match wits with Errol Flynn. Yes. And I thought no one's gonna know what you're talking about, Rhoda, because you just said that to your husband. Everyone else in the room is like, this broad's nuts. <laughs> what the <laughs> hell is Dick she talking about? Take it away. This is... <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, I did. I like that too because literally only. Her and Melissa and Arnold know what the hell she's talking about. Everybody else is just looking like, this must be a family joke, an in-joke. It makes no sense. That was not the time. That was not the time. <laughs> yeah, so all's well that ends well. And, and yes. Yay. Yay. And back at five zero, Steve is basically like, we're going to take the money that you used, that they got back from the captain, mm-hmm. and pay back the people that they swindled. And convince them not to press charges if they'll get on a plane and never come back to Hawaii. And the great thing is that, like, he's waiting for them to agree to this. 
to promise this and Ada Griffith and Joyce Van Patten don't say anything and the little girl looks at each of her parents and go, <laughs> yeah. they promise. <laughs> it's a good ending. It's a it's a good it's, scene. Yes. The last scene. This the singer is really great when they're giving a ride to the airport and mm-hmm. they've promised they've promised to be good and yet they immediately start pulling the Oh look, I found all of this money in this car, but we should share it with the driver. And who's the driver, Dan? Uh, it's one of the five O guys. It is. It's Ben. He gets the zing in there, and uh, yes. the smile uh, on his think, face. What's going to happen to the Lovejoys? Are they going to make know. their flight? <laughs> uh, I'm glad. I, I'm glad they got. They kind of got. You know, as as much as you know, you kind of like to see them get away. Um, I kind of glad they're going to get there's going to be some comeuppance for that because there was a brief moment where I thought so they just kind of got let go and now they're just going to keep ripping people off with no yeah <laughs> Shouldn't they get some sort of punishment and then you don't know what it's going to be and for all you know Ben's just gonna you know have him sweat it out for a few minutes and just drop him off at the airport or something you know he, yeah you know he says we'll keep this between us that's what I yeah. like to think happened yeah, yeah I mean they're doing a pretty big service by testifying against Charlie and because they've been mm-hmm. struggling to put him in jail so when you look at it, they're getting a bigger fish to fry and they're sending the Lovejoys to be someone else's problem. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I think, uh, I think, may, I suppose maybe, yeah, sort of in my mind, then, then Ben Flash in the badge at the end is just um, maybe more of a sign of, we know you're still doing this, but yeah. we're going to let you go. So never come back. Yes. <laughs> but we just want you to know, we just want you to know that we know you didn't stop. Yeah. They, yeah, there there was no leaves, new leaves being turned over at all. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Con Man's Anonymous is not going to feature the Lovejoys <laughs> next week at the meeting. Let's take a real quick break from the chatting to take a closer look at the Skeps cast. Arnold Lovejoy was played by, as we said, Andy Griffith. Probably best known as Andy Taylor on The Andy Griffith Show, Gomer Pyle, USMC, and Mayberry RFD. He was also Ben Matlock on Matlock and played that character in a crossover episode for Diagnosis Murder. He was also Andy Thompson on The Headmaster, Andy Sawyer on The New Andy Griffith Show, and Harry Broderick on Salvage One. He also appeared in episodes of The Mod Squad, The Doris Day Show, Here's Lucy, The Bionic Woman, Love Boat, and Fantasy Island, Family Law, and Dawson's Creek. He appeared in the movies Play the Game, Waitress, Spy Hard, Rustler's Rhapsody, Hearts of the West, Angel in My Pocket, The Second Time Around, Onion Head, No Time for Sergeants, and A Face in the Crowd. He appeared in the TV movies The Strangers in 7A, Go Ask Alice, Pray for the Wildcats, Winter Kill, Savages, Street Killing, The Girl in the Empty Grave, For Lovers Only, Murder in Texas, Murder in Coeta County, Deadly Game, The Demon Murder Case, Crime of Innocence, Under the Influence, The Gift of Love, and Return to Mayberry. And he appeared in the miniseries Fatal Vision, Roots the Next Generation, Centennial, and Washington Behind Closed Doors. As we said, Rhoda Lovejoy was played by Joyce Van Patten. This is her second of two episodes. We also saw her in The Payoff. Charlie Walters was played by Bob Basso. This is his fourth of eight episodes. 
Frank Buttrell was played by Brian De Silva. This is his first of three episodes. He also had an uncredited role in Sweet Charity. Melissa Lovejoy was played by Kimberly Lewis. She also appeared in the movie Young Doctors in Love. Shibata was played by Seth Sakai. This is his sixth of 23 episodes. Willie was played by Nick Nicholas. This is his fourth of five episodes. Mr. Kwan was played by Kwan Hai Lim. This is his tenth of 25 episodes. Dr. Baldwin was played by George Herman. This is his third of 14 episodes. We also saw him in Kiss the Queen Goodbye and Bait Once, Bait Twice. Mrs. Klemper was played by Anne McCormick. This is her third of three episodes. We also saw her in And They Painted Daisies on His Coffin and Force of Waves. The hotel manager was played by H.F. Hap Kohlmeyer. This is his only credit. The Shibata Hood was played by Harold Sakata. He was Odd Job in Goldfinger. And he played Kanji Taichi on Sarge and Chang on Highcliff Manor. He also appeared in episodes of Gilligan's Island, The Blue Knight, Quincy M.E., Policewoman, The Rockford Files, The Amazing Spider-Man, and The Misadventures of Sheriff Lobo. He appeared in the movies Invaders of the Lost Gold, Going Coconuts, Death Dimension, Record City, The Happy Hooker Goes to Washington, Mako, Jaws of Death, The Wrestler from 1974, Impulse, and Dimension 5. The Minister was played by Grady Sutton. He has 249 credits going back to 1925. He was Ben Toomey on Lawman and Sturgis on The Phyllis Diller Show. He also appeared in episodes of The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, The Ann Southern Show, Sugarfoot, Cheyenne, Rawhide, 77 Sunset Strip, Dennis the Menace, Dr. Kildare, Burke's Law, Petticoat Junction, Batman, and The Odd Couple. He appeared in the movies Rock and Roll High School, Support Your Local Gunfighter, Myra Breckenridge, The Great Bank Robbery, Paradise Hawaii Style, Bounty Killer, Grand Canyon, Last of the Wild Horses, My Dear Secretary, My Wild Irish Rose, Hit the Hay, Three's a Crowd, Her Lucky Night, Nine Girls, Whispering Ghosts, and The Bank Dick. And he appeared in the TV movie Something for a Lonely Man. And in uncredited roles, Walter's Hood, a.k.a. Bullcut, was played by Charles Bullock. This is his second of three episodes. We also saw him in 3,000 Crooked Miles to Hawaii. And the extra was played by John Alexis Howard. This is his fifth of nine episodes. Yeah, this this was, this is, like I said, it's my favorite episode of the season. And I think... Mm-hmm. It's it's because it's just it's a little bit different from what we normally when the episodes normally are because um, it's a little lighter. Yeah. There's a lot going on. Five O gets to take a little bit of a backseat to a lot of the shenanigans, and um, it's just it's a lot of fun. It's it's a mm-hmm. it's good clean fun for as many yeah. murders as there were. Yes, exa- exactly for for a startling amount of people being slaughtered. <laughs> it it's actually kind of fun. Maybe that's what the music is doing. Maybe the, I thought the music was a little too fun or something. I'm going to have to listen to it again. I, I'm sorry, person who wrote the music. I don't mean to harp on that. But when I think about the episode, to me, it's almost perfect. It's just the, some some musical cues made me took me out of it rather than keeping me sort of embroiled. Yeah, and that, that happens sometimes. And sometimes yeah. like in episodes that aren't lighter, that have more serious tones, mm. the music can still kind of be a little jarring, I think. 
Overdone. A little, a little overdone sometimes. Not always. Yeah. Not always. Mm-hmm. But I do think they struggle a little more with the lighter episodes because they usually are more serious. Yes. So to get that right chord of we're having a good time here, there yeah. are consequences, but we're having a good time. It's probably more yeah. difficult to to hit that note. Yeah. Look, look, uh, I'm going to need you to take about 10 wah-wahs out of that <laughs> score, please. <laughs> there is a really nice kind of funky variation on the Hawaii Five O theme when McGarrett goes up to the door the first time to talk to Charlie. Yes. Um and I, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to perform the right now. But it's kind of as they go up to the door, the music is playing, and then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, that's the five O theme. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do like how they will switch that up, and in, in, you know, insert it in episodes, but do a different version. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else on this episode? There is nothing else for me to say about this no, episode. I than, enjoyed it. Yeah, other than that, it's brilliant. Yeah, you know. <laughs> You know, you know what I could say, but I won't say it. <laughs> Are you sure you don't want one last, one last go? Oh, you puking little double crosser! <laughs> you see, Charlie, don't mess around with Errol Flynn. Venom, anybody see anything? <sighs> Happened too fast, Steve. The people in the drugstore know nothing. Chan and Ben are checking the rest of the block. How do you describe a baby that they're that long? What about the clothes the kid was wearing? Yeah, we put out an APB on that. I only left him outside for one minute. Oh, well, I was so dumb I couldn't get the cart through the turnstile. I only went... Oh, oh my God. Excuse me. Sorry. McGarrett, white Bible. Mr. McGarrett, I... I'm afraid this doesn't make much sense to either of us. We're not rich. We don't know why they picked on us. Well, that's what's going through our mind, too, Mr. Empson. Your son, is he adopted? No. Is he a child of a previous marriage? No, no, there's no custody fight going on, nothing like that. All right, Dan, we'll go through the usual routine anyway. Phone tap, stakeout, just in case there's a ransom try. What, what do you mean, in case? What else could it be? Well, you say you're not rich, so I don't think there'll be a ransom attempt. Now, the likelihood here is that we're dealing with someone who's sick. A grieving woman, maybe, who thinks your son can replace her own lost child. But we still have to go through the motions of a stakeout in case we're wrong. Episode 14, The Child Stealers, air date January 2nd, 1973, directed by Corey Allen. This is his first of two episodes and written by Larry Brody. This is his first of three episodes. Nina is walking along a street lined with shops. She stops to wave at a little baby in a stroller before coming along an infant in a grocery cart on the sidewalk, scoops him up and whisks him into a car driven by her man Gar. She sheds her moo-moo and gets the baby a bottle to stop his fussing. The baby's and Gars, who's irritated the kid is crying. They have an appointment at a pediatrician's office before they're off to the airport. Dropping Nina off, Gar ditches the car elsewhere, wiping it down and tossing the keys before hurrying back to the airport to catch a flight to L.A. with their stolen baby. Meanwhile, 5 is on the abduction scene because the FBI called them in. Steve and Danny speak with the distraught parents in the drugstore. They have no idea why their son would have been targeted. They're not rich, he's not adopted, and there's no custody issue. 
They'll go through the motions of a stakeout, but it might be the actions of a sick person, perhaps a mother who lost her own child and is looking for a replacement. Che arrives at the Emsons' house in disguise and sets about tapping their phones while Chin stays behind in the delivery van. Ben reports there are no fingerprints other than the mother's and clerk's on the grocery cart, and the father is a junior architect but not working on anything major. A ransom call looks really unlikely. Gar and Nina arrive at their dump of a hotel room. Nina gets broody over the baby, which aggravates Gar. Apparently, Gar forced Nina to give up their baby Michael for the money, and she won't let it go. He promises her that they'll have a baby when they're ready, when they have everything they need. Nina knows he's full of shit. Gar sets about faking the baby's birth certificate, naming him Jason. Nina gives him a birth date and birth time. Gar realizes the baby isn't wearing his booties, and Nina says he lost one, so she took the other one off. Gar gets upset because she doesn't know where he lost it, and it could have her prints on it. Eugene Goodman arrives at his adoption agency, where the newly crowned Jason is being examined and meets with Gar and Nina. He didn't expect to see them so soon, but they had a friend that had a baby and couldn't keep it. They helped her out. Mr. Goodman points out that it's the second unwed mother they've referred to him, and they also gave him their own. Hasn't anyone heard of the pill? He then goes on to say that a good lawyer earns his fees, implying that he knows what they're doing. The baby booty turns up in the car Gar ditched, but neither the car nor the booty have any prints. The car was stolen. It's like all of this was planned, but there's been no ransom call. Four days later, Che removes the tap, but the Imsons' phone calls will still be routed through HPD. It's looking more and more likely that the baby was taken by a disturbed person. Danny wants the Imsons to go on TV to make a public appeal. They're willing to do anything. Gar and Nina return to Hawaii first class, and Gar is on a kick about buying a boat, sailing around, looking for paradise. And they'll do it all stone legal. Buy the boat so they, the Coast Guard won't crash their party. But Nina thinks he's crazy. The Imsons make their public appeal. Gar and Nina watch as they plead for their son back. Gar tries to rationalize what they've done, but Nina doesn't think it's worth it. Gar points out that Nina was right there with them, taking two kids, and that she enjoys it because she sold off her own kid and she wants other people to be as miserable as she is. It might be true, but Nina can't keep doing what they're doing. She wants him, and she wants their child. Gar promises her that they'll have one, and they'll raise it on the boat. It's enough of a promise that Nina relents. Five-O watches the appeal in the office. This isn't the first kidnapping like this. The first baby was taken in a similar quick-and-easy fashion from a parked car, no ransom ever made. But there was another baby taken a few days before that, only he was later found at a hospital because he had a withered arm. What if this is about babies as merchandise? That's a special defense. Whoever is doing it has to be somewhat legit, so the adoptive parents, who are already looking to shorten the wait time, don't suspect something is up. Steve works the FBI computer overtime to match prints taken from the babies born in Hawaii in the last six months to the prints of babies in adoption agencies. They find the Imsen baby in L.A. and suspect that the Oranger baby was also adopted out of that agency. But that adoption is final and the adoptive parents won't provide the baby's prints. So Steve and Ben take a trip to L.A. to have a chat with Mr. Goodman. The Child Stealers. Definitely a different uh, tone compared to the previous episode. I feel like... The last couple of times that we've done two episodes back-to-back, it has been episodes that have a huge tonal shift. 
So we have like something that's really like light and fun. And then the next one is a, like, is a lot darker and a slightly more unpleasant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's a little charring, but I have to ask Dan, what did you think of the child stealers? Well, first off, for some reason, I kept on my notes referring to this uh, episode as Baby Stealers, which is a fun, which is a fun title, but not correct title. Um, it is after watching the previous episode. It's it's jarring, but it's also it's also about another couple basically <laughs> doing not nice things. Now, this couple is doing a lot worse things than the Lovejoys were. Um, uh, but but it's funny. The Lovejoys thing is they're just this is how they make their living, whereas this couple is they're doing it for their freedom. They do. I mean, it's it's really it has the feeling of like it's Gar and Nina are the couple stealing babies to bring them to Mr. Goldman. We know who you are, Mr. Goldman. <laughs> I know who you are. Um, uh, but uh, stealing babies so, so they can make their dreams come true. And you sort of it's 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 one of those things where you think what a what an odd world to be in or an odd place in your life to be in where the way you make money is steal them in Hawaii and fly them over to Los Angeles to sell them. Then you fly back, you grab another one. I mean, they're very good at grabbing the babies. I will give them that. I mean, that's, I think that's probably a really acquired talent. You know, it's not, I don't think I'd have it. I would be too loud. I'd fall over. I'd make them be wacky, but, but they're really good at it. So, and there's just kind of this, um, it's, it's this weird episode where it's, it's just basically they're sort of a young they're, – they're almost – it almost has the feel of like we're into the 70s a bit. Um, Vietnam is pretty much over and didn't go well and all the great 70s – and all the great 60s stuff is pretty much over. And now we're entering kind of the strange 70s and a lot of sort of the idealistic hippie dreams and things like that are now dead. And what do the hippies do now? They steal babies and sell them so they can buy themselves a boat and sail away. And it's kind of sad. <laughs> and it's um, I, I applaud Gar for just really being gung ho about it, no matter what happens. Uh, Nina, she seems less so, but she I think she wants that boat. She really she really likes Gar. Why not? You know, it's it's Richard Hatch. Um, but it's it's a it's a dark premise stealing babies. And I think the um, the uh, the investigation by the five O is carried out really well. And there are points in it where you sort of think, now how are they going to find this couple? You know, they just flew. They just flew to. How are they going to find? And, and it's all it's all really well structured. <coughs> pardon me, and well put together. There's never sort of a moment where they discover something, and you're like, uh, I don't really buy that. Everything kind of flows nicely, you know, like the. Um, uh, like like they they ditch the car they're in with, when they steal the first baby and they accidentally lose and all the chaos they uh, of getting the baby in and out they they lose one little uh, baby shoes in there and a cop finds the deserted car and finds the baby shoe and they go from there and then they come up with smart ideas to track down the babies and figure out what's going on and um, it's it's I think I think it's who whoever yeah whoever whoever did the script pieced it together very nicely and it, it's got a nice it doesn't. It's not it's not a like a lightning fast episode um, because whenever sort of Gar and Nina are kind of either arguing or standing on docks talking about sailing away, you know, that's those aren't fast paced scenes. Those are calm character scenes of a couple who are like right on the edge of going like cuckoo. And I, I think I think overall the, the episode works really well. And it's I, I like that it's sort of packed up to the end. 
uh, you know, to, to, right up to the very end, it's just kind of packed with incidents and things are going on. And it's just, it's, you know, you know, the last one I just think was, um, was just the, the love joys episode was just so, ah, just a nice, nice, a nice meal, a nice glass of wine or something like that. And this, this is probably more sort of a standard Hawaii five Oh episode, but it, it's a really good one, I think. And it's, it's, it's sharply, sharply written, uh, well done, well acted, and the investigation is very good. So I, I give this one a thumbs up too. Not not quite as much as the previous one because the previous one was more fun. This one, there's kind of like I said, it kind of a the end of the '60s are uh, represented by like I said, hippies stealing babies to buy a boat. Yeah. But uh, overall, overall, I think it's a darn good episode. Yeah, I like this episode. This is one of those episodes that it is a good Hawaii Five O episode, more representative of the episodes that you get. It's one of those that I like that I think is good, but it's not one that I like to rewatch because it's, mm, I could understand. Yeah. It's rather dark and it's kind of unpleasant with the stealing of the babies. And also the, what started Gar and Nina to be stealing babies uh, was mm. they sold their own the yeah. first time. And that's part of Nina's issues is that she's hung up on the fact that they stole, that they sold their, their own child. And that's what got mm-hmm. them started in this. And now they're stealing other people's babies. She has more of a yeah. conscience than Gar does. So yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's really well done. I think Richard Hatch and Meg Foster together are just absolutely phenomenal. They, they are. Yeah. They're fabulous very, very chemistry. Good, yeah. This is like, not like one of their first roles. They had a handful of roles between the two of them prior to this but man you just see how good they are yeah and then yes we, we have the whole the whole 5-0 investigation which is they start off very practically thinking that mm-hmm. okay this could be for ransom but it also could be someone who is disturbed who lost their own child and yes. that sort of thing and so their investigation is very logical and you can see how mm-hmm. they get to from point a to point b to the conclusion mm-hmm. like i said there there are there is a moment where you're like how are they going to find this 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 how are they gonna find i mean it's it seems uh, like and there's one point where mcgarrett says to the, the team and i don't want to hear anything about a needle in a haystack yeah and and they succeed and it's it's just yeah it's a yeah it's it, a sharp sharp sort of regular episode of the show. i said that already i'm sorry it is <laughs> well it is it is because the way the 5-0 investigation starts you don't see how they'll find Nina, because they're mm-hmm. Nina and Gar, because they're looking in kind of the opposite direction almost. Yeah. Because that first, very first baby taking is you see Nina walking along the street lined with shops and she stops at one stroller and says hi to a baby, but obviously she can't take that baby. You don't realize that till later. And then she comes across another baby that's left in a, a shopping cart in her, his little car seat and she talks to that baby and just scoops it out and whirls him right into the waiting car yeah. where Gar is and they're gone. And I'm like, yes, because this is the seventies. No one locked their yes. houses. No one locked their cars and no one locked their children. They just left them in carts yes, on sidewalks. And, and that's what the mom says. It's like, well, I just had to go in for a few things and I couldn't get the car through the door. And I thought, then you've got the wrong cart, right? If you can't yeah. get the cart through the door, you're, you've taken, you grabbed a cart from another store, take the baby in and, yeah. and, if you have groceries from another store, drop those groceries off in your car. Don't leave them. And that, that was my first thought, too. Oh, yeah, it's the 70s. Yeah. Because yeah. there are literally there are two babies within, like, walking distance of each other that are just hanging out by themselves. Yes. Yeah, and like you would leave a dog, like you'd tie a dog yeah. up inside a store. And it's like, okay, first of all, once they start walking, you're going to have a problem because t- 
toddlers disappear. They are Houdinis. You can't leave those things unattended <laughs> yes. at all. You can't even blink, and they are not where they're supposed to be. It reminded me of the beginning of the movie Tentacles, the Killer oh, yes. Octopus movie with Shelley Winters, where mm-hmm. like a lady's walking her baby in a carriage by like the edge of water, like the the ocean. And a friend of hers is like 20 feet away and she waves to her friend, leaves the baby carriage there, goes to talk to her friend in the foreground. And in the background, you like see the baby carriage sitting there and then like a car passes by. And then when it passes, the two ladies are still talking, but the carriage is gone. Yes. The octopus has grabbed it. And, and it's always like, well, you know, maybe should have, you know, brought this <laughs> stroller over with, I don't know. I don't know. Well, the way I would think so are. because, you know. They, I guess they think because they're in a stroller, they can't go anywhere, so they're not worried about yeah. them running off. But they could be kidnapped by Richard Hatch and Meg Foster yes. or taken by a giant octopus. One or the other. I mean, there are happens. other things that can happen. Yes, exactly. It's it's actually how the like the way she when she picks up the baby and she literally like does a twirl and the car's right there. It's beautifully choreographed. Like mm-hmm. they've done this a lot, but they haven't really done this a lot. I think they've only done it once, maybe. Yeah, they've only done one other baby. Well, they no, they've taken. We find out later they've oh, yes, taken right. two yeah, other yeah, babies, yeah. but they returned one. <laughs> yes, yeah. um, they kept the receipt. So, <laughs> but in the car, what I love about it in the car is that you can see how smooth this system's going. She takes off the muumuu she was wearing because she's got other clothes underneath. She's got they've got a bottle ready because the baby's fussy. Um, they're taking him to the pediatrician. Then they're going to take to the airport. Guard drops him off at the airport so he can go ditch the car. Now, I have questions about this because he goes, he ditches the car. He wipes it down for Prince. Smart. He chucks the keys into the bushes a distance away. Great. But he left the windows down? Yeah. Yeah, at 70s. Yeah. I'm just like, so you went through all of that trouble. Are we hoping somebody else was like hot-wired it or something? Like, here, I stole this. You steal it. (laughs) You know what? I, I'd like to. I'd like to break into that car or, or go in that car. I just don't have the keys. Well, the windows. <laughs> I don't have the keys. Because because that's Hello? how the cop gets in later. Is he just reaches through the open window and opens the door, and it's just like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. There was a lot going on. I mean, she dropped the baby shoe or whatever, and he forgot yeah. to roll up the windows. I just, I, I would thought that if you're ditching a car, you're going to roll up the windows, but apparently not. I mean, I'm not a car no. thief, so. Perhaps there is a step that I'm missing that I'm just not aware of because I didn't get that instruction booklet. So maybe he he was originally planning on pushing it into water, so he rolled down the windows. But then when he was he said, "I'm just going to put it here," and forgot to roll them back up. <laughs> yeah, he was just like, "I I I this is too much time. I got to get back to the airport." Because yeah, yeah they just mm-hmm. like buy a ticket right there at the counter when you could mm-hmm. do that and. Off they went to L.A. to sell this baby to Oscar Goldman. How could you? For heaven's sake. And his name is Mr. Goldman. It's Goldman. Like, yeah, it was. What is, no, it's Goodman. Is it Goodman? I thought it's, it was Goldman. It's Goodman. Was, so it was like one letter be. off. Yes. Close enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A good lawyer earns his fees. I love the fact that he kind of like knows but he's not going to admit that he knows what they're doing he knows they're stealing these babies yeah and he makes a point of saying because they're bringing them in under the guise of that they just happen to know another unwed mother Mm -hmm. but their baby they're married because they said yes your baby was conceived in wedlock that was the first baby you brought to us Mm -hmm. and then they brought the other two and he's like (laughs) because he says something to the effect of you know have you people ever heard of the pill 
Oh, Oscar. Well, this is before Oscar had his bionic friends. Yes. So this is a whole different kind of Oscar. This is a whole. This is another side of Oscar you never saw. Mm-hmm. Pre-bionic. Pre-bionic. Pre-bionic buddies. <laughs> yeah, and and he's yeah he's a lawyer and he's really rather good. Mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways because he I, he knows, but he's not going to turn down the money that he gets for this because yeah. basically he's kind of circumventing the whole year-long waiting list to adopt by he's cutting out some middlemen as it were (laughs) and so it's kind of that scene is kind of interesting because it's like everybody knows but Mm. nobody's saying that they know yes yeah then they get Uh, five grand for that baby and then they pay first class to go back to hawaii yeah save some of that cash (laughs) come on Two first class, one way, Los Angeles to Honolulu. Right. Yes, sir. Back to Hawaii in style, baby. Oh, <laughs> God, first class, you sure we can afford it? Relax, this is Jason Street. I forget when when it happens. I think it happens around here, but there's there is a very uh, good scene where they put the um, the parents of the missing baby on TV. And it's really kind of a, it's, it's really a nicely done scene, which... Um, Really doesn't affect Gar in the slightest, but Nina and Nina ain't too happy with it. Yeah, no, because they kind of establish when they steal the first baby and they're they're doctoring the the birth certificate and stuff so they can sell it. That that's when we find out that they sold their baby um, because she, he asks why Nina didn't why Nina named the baby Michael and didn't name him after yes. his daddy because that's a fine American tradition and Nina yeah. says. It's because his daddy didn't want him. And my thought was, it's because you're named after a fish. And <laughs> That's exactly what I was Your thinking. name is Garth. The, why are you asking questions you know the answer to? <laughs> yes, exactly. Why didn't you name him Garth after me? Good old American custom name a boy after his father. Yeah, that's that's not a good name. No. I thought it, I felt like it must be short for something, but it's never... Elaborate. Yeah, I it's hope it's short for something like Garth or Garbanzo or something because Gar is just a terrible name. Gary or something. And it was just like, oh, the typewriter ribbon just went dead. Just leave it, Gar. Okay. <laughs> It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Now we know why he's so maladjusted is because he had to go yeah. through life with the name Gar. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's established early on that, that – he has no remorse over this where Nina yes. does. And then when the parents go on and how are those people even a couple? I don't know that it, 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 I actually thought when I first saw them together in the drugstore, I thought that was like the owner of the drugstore just yelling at her. <laughs> and then it turns out they're like, they're like, no, they're the couple. They're the yeah. Couple. They, they're married. Really? How? Yeah. They don't look like they would even meet. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I'd yeah. love to know that story. Maybe not. Yeah. But I, you know. <laughs> There's a love story for you. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, they go on TV and make the pleas because Fibo has been monitoring their house. Che Fong went in and hooked up all their phones. They've been waiting for ransom calls, but they're not. They're pretty sure that because they're not rich, they're not getting yeah. ransom calls. They think a disturbed person did this. But they go on and make their plea, and Nina's really upset about it. And. Gar tries to rationalize it by saying, yes, but that childless couple in L.A. now has a baby. And she's like, how does this balance out? Because these people are devastated that they lost theirs. Mm-hmm. And it's a I just I really love that scene 
because yeah. it's a very intense scene where Gar calls Nina out and says that because she doesn't like doing it and he does it for the thrill and all that. And she he says, no, I think you do like doing it because you like making other people as miserable as you are. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. they she kind of admits to that later. And he sort of he keeps like stringing her along by saying, we'll have a baby. And yes, this, and I he's obsessed with this stupid boat. And he's uh, like, we'll we'll have a baby and we'll raise it on the boat. And that's kind of what wins Nina over to his side mm-hmm. again because she's saying, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And at the time, they think they don't have to, mm-hmm. but they end up having to. They, yes, they have but it's, to. And I do. I love that scene because it's very intense yeah. and, and very well done. And I like the way that it's kind of shot mm-hmm. and how they argue and stuff. It's just, I don't know. I just really like that scene. Oh yeah, overall, I mean, it's two it's two very good actors just getting a a very good a well written scene, sort of like like drama within within a cop show kind of thing. It's always always it's always nice to see something like that. Like uh, and and that, like all, all of their scenes together are very good. The the, uh, the uh, and you can tell like, like even when he's dancing around like on the on wherever that outcropping of rock is, talking about the boats. She's like, oh, okay, well, I like the boats too. Let's go look at some boats. <laughs> oh dear, okay, but uh, but I will say this: I don't like that moo moo thing she wears when she goes. She walks around looking for babies. You don't. Luckily, oh. she takes it off and she's dressed more hippie-ish. I I don't know. I saw it and I thought that's not that's not a Meg Foster outfit. Well, that's that's to help her look innocent, so no one would suspect exactly. her of stealing babies. I mean, when she's looking more hippie-ish with her bangle bracelets and her rings, I mean, that yeah, might be yeah. more concerning. That's but if she's wearing way. a muumuu, no one's going to think she steals babies. Oh, yeah. She's, yeah, she's just a nice nice lady helping dancing with random babies. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I did that. One of the things I do like about it is when it starts off and you see her take the baby, you can't quite tell because the thing I love about Meg Foster is that there are occasional moments when, um, it's because of her eyes, you mm-hmm. know, you think... What's she up to? <laughs> and 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 so like this until it, it was like oh we're selling babies. I was like for all I knew the, she was like just stealing babies and she had a shack somewhere in the back of the island filled with babies she'd stolen or something <laughs> like that. I didn't know. yeah that, like cats like a cat lady but I'm a baby lady. Yeah, that's the thing is like you can you you expect that sort of behavior from Meg Foster. You don't expect that sort of behavior from Richard Hatch. I didn't expect no. him to be such a prick about all of this. But he's rather soulless, and I don't expect yes. that from him because no, he's no, you really don't. Apollo, yeah, <laughs> yeah for heaven's sake, right? he's Apollo. <laughs> Darn it! You never forgave yourself for selling off our own kids, so now you're enjoying somebody else's suffering too, huh? Shut up. Yeah, they're really good. It's it's real. It's really nice because I think if um. Like in the previous episode, it's like uh, Joyce Pepper and 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 Andy Griffith were so great together that whatever cut, it cut to them, that that was that was funny. This is very dramatic, but it was it's a joy to cut to them because it's not like not like they would hire lesser actors for the show. But it's just nice to see good actors getting some good material. And so when it cuts to them, you're not thinking like, let's go back to the investigation, let's go see what's going on. Yeah. You, you, I don't know that you enjoy the time spent with them, but you it works. It's yeah, you're you're never wondering where McGarrett is. Yeah. Because exactly. you're you you are caught up in their drama because it's clear that Gar is on his own level. He's obsessed with this freedom and Nina is at war with herself because yes. she she's not quite on board with that whole dream. She doesn't like what they're doing, but she really loves Gar. You can tell that yes. she's what especially when they're on the rocks and 
and stuff. And you can see her battle right there is that she she wants to go along with Gar's dream, but she thinks he's crazy. Yeah, he he, he do, do we um I I've, it's funny. I, I watched this the first time a few days ago and then I watched it again earlier today and took my notes and I got to the end and I thought, what what do they do? What do they say about his background? Was he in the army? Did they say that? I, I forget. I, or and then I thought, or did they say anything about his background? And I'm I'm adding that. They didn't. They didn't say anything. Okay. You, all right. You For really reason, don't know Nina and Gar outside of their baby stealing habits and the fact that they gave up their own kid and that they're that you, he's obsessed with a boat. Can I ask you a personal question, Kristen? Absolutely. What are your baby stealing habits? Um. I do not have baby stealing habits. <laughs> okay, well there you go. You heard it from her. Whether you believe it or not, you should because uh, <laughs> I grew up in a daycare. My mom ran a daycare in the house. Uh-huh. I, I there there's no such thing as baby fever for me. I had that worked out very early. <laughs> I have no desire to be stealing any babies. Yeah, they cry a lot. They do. As, they as, they, as you... they they make messes and. Um, they're very needy. I like them for short periods of time. I like mm. them when I can give them back to their parents. <laughs> yes, exactly. At the end of the hour. That's how I like my children. Yes. I always say I always say that I like I I like my kids like I like my dogs. I like kids and I like dogs. I just don't want to own any. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and I definitely do not want to be Look, I think I think one of my if my my job in hell, and if Satan, if you're listening, <laughs> it would be would be taking baby hand and footprints. Oh my god! Like they do in this one. When when is it Ben? Does Ben take the Ben has who, to do it, and that baby yes, is ben has pissed. To, and, oh my god! And you're just like, and they're like holding the baby, and the baby's squirming. He's like grabbing the baby's foot and sticking it in the ink, and then sticking it. How do you even get a decent one? You know, because they're not going to hold still. Like a... I, you, you basically, you have to kind of force it. Yeah. You don't hurt the kid, but you, you kind of have mm. to be insistent on it, yeah. especially because that baby. So they figure out that there's baby thieving happening because <laughs> they said that, what was it that Chin said that this is a special kind of fence? Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, this is a very special kind of fence. Yeah. I don't know why, but that just cracks me up. Mm. Yes, there's baby fences. But they said that, yeah, it could be because they have a record of a baby being taken right before the Oranger baby. Yes. That's, yes. That the baby had a withered arm. And so the baby was dropped off at a hospital because they couldn't use it. So Steve floats the idea of babies as merchandise. And that's what leads them to investigating the adoption agencies. And that's how they get to L.A. That's how they get to Oscar Goldman. And mm-hmm. Steve is like going toe to toe with Oscar Goldman and Oscar Goldman's being very sly and like, uh-huh. here's, here's some paperwork, but you can't have all of the paperwork not without a court order. And then Steve pulls that court order out and he's yeah. like, I was giving you a chance to be cooperative. Mm-hmm. And then just and slaps he, him with it. Smacks him with it. Yes. And then, and then hands it to him. Yes. <laughs> because you know why you dared to question Steve McGarrett. I guess you think in LA you're better, but you're not. If my bionic friends were here, you wouldn't make it out alive. (laughs) Unfortunately, I'm not meeting Uh them yet. Mr. Goodman, I gave you the chance to cooperate voluntarily. As your court order. Now, uh, one question I have to ask your thoughts. The scene at the orphanage or whatever the heck there is, the clinic um, thing where where good Oscar is. Um, 
that's set in L.A. Do you think it's shot in Hawaii? I think it's shot in Hawaii. Okay. I like that thought because so many things shot in L.A., oh. you know, over time, they pretend they're in Hawaii. And I just love the moment he pulls up into that, uh, you know, into up the big driveway. I'm like, oh, that's yeah. Hawaii. Yeah, I'm, full, I'm pretty sure. Though I was going to ask you because they showed to help set – the setting that it is L.A., they show a neon sign for the L.A. airport. Is that still there? No, unfortunately. That is not. That is old. That is some old school LA, LAX stuff. Yeah. That makes me sad. They should never have gotten yeah. rid of that. It was really it was really nice to see. Yeah, no, that that was definitely that was probably stock footage or, or you yeah. know, they just they they had. Yeah. Cameraman for the network shot a little stock footage of, of LAX and sent it to him. Yeah, that's what I figure. I there's none of it because the um actors that are the 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 parents of the Oranger baby who was supposed to be like 9 weeks old when mm. she was abducted and then it's been 6 months and but the baby that they have is like 18 months old. Um I don't know baby TV baby math is very questionable. <laughs> But the two actors that are there in, quote, L.A. are – they've been in other episodes of Hawaii Five-0 because they're oh, local okay. actors. So, <laughs> yeah, no, they were, they were not in L.A. Um, but, yeah, so that brings us to – they. It's usually Steve takes Danny, but he this time he took Ben with him to L.A. And Ben has to go and get these prints from this child because the parents weren't being cooperative and he had to take the court order to get them. Mm-hmm. And that baby is pissed. That baby is not happy, yeah. Yeah, and like yeah. screaming the whole time. And I think, I don't know if that's how they did it back in the day, but how they, the ethical way to do that, to make a baby be like that, is to deny them a nap, keep them up just a little Ooh. bit too late because it doesn't take uh-huh. much to set them off. And that's like, that baby is screaming for sleep. That, yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> that baby, baby is wants not to go night night. But, um, yeah. and it's great too because the parents are like, Ben's like, I hope this is wrong. I hope that this baby isn't the stolen baby. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, when they find out that it is, they're like, no, this is our daughter. You can't take her away from it. And it's like, you are, you have stolen goods. That's not how this yes. works. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's nice ben, Ben's reaction to it too. Like he doesn't leap up, you know, punch out the father, and kick <laughs> the mother down, grab the baby, and go. He's he's very sympathetic. Uh, you know, very. I'm I'm sorry. The you know the prince. Uh, prove otherwise you know and it's yeah. it's just like it's 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 a nice it's kind of like that moment with bowl cut in the previous episode yes. where he says suppose he was telling the truth it's kind of a it's kind of an understated but also like making its point sort of line and it's it's very nice i like ben i haven't seen much of ben i like him the more i, I see him yeah ben i like ben a lot um i'm sorry he didn't hang out for more seasons al harrington is just he's wonderful as ben yeah. And you're right. He does. He he gives this look like I'm really sorry, and he tells them yeah. that it's up for the courts to decide. And I'm like, they're going yeah, to decide yes. in the favor of the parents that have been thieved. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Y'all go buy a different baby elsewhere. Yeah. I don't know. Go to Target. They're everywhere. <laughs> no. No, she's our baby. She's our daughter. I'm sorry. That's not what the prince is. Nobody is taking this child away from us, Mr. Kokua. Nobody. Mr. Mills, I'm afraid that's for the courts to decide. Pick, pick, you know, pick a family with five or six of them. They're not going to miss it. You remember Home Alone, how long it took them to miss that kid. Yeah, seriously. Or, you know, do like Raising Arizona where they they had, what, quintuplets? Exactly. They're not going to miss one. Exactly, yeah. And it, it, it is funny. I will say that um, sort of 
the couple in this episode and the couple in the previous episode, if you kind of meld them together, they become kind of become kind of like con manny couples that you see in like coen brothers films yes. or something in the 80s kind of with a bit of darkness but also with the silliness like a nick cage kind of character, yes yes sort of now i did think of raising arizona when i was watching this <laughs> yeah, yeah that's... i haven't seen it in a while maybe it's time give me a packet of them uh funny balloons is round funny <laughs> ah, i love it <laughs> Uh, sorry, oh, yeah. uh, so, where, where, where were we? Ben, so, babies? yeah, so they, they, I don't, we never see what happens with the Oranger baby after that, but they do take the other baby home because the adoption's not complete, hasn't oh, yes, been finalized, right so they're able to take the, the other baby home, and what I love about that scene is this baby, this lump of a baby, is adorable, and we see him, uh-huh. he's been kidnapped, he fusses a little bit when he, in the car because he wants to be fed, but we see him, like, hanging out on the bed, just chilling. And we see him getting poked and prodded by yeah. Goldman's nurses. And he's just chilling. Mm-hmm. But then they take him home to the, their parents, his parents, and he looks pissed. He like <laughs> looks like he's about to start fussing. And I'm like, this is not the joyous reunion we thought you were going to have. <laughs> you know, take him back. Yeah. We yeah. changed our mind. You know, we actually, it's much quieter without a baby yeah. in the house. Can Never mind. He's ungrateful already. I was waiting for that to happen when he was like 14, <laughs> not... 10 weeks. This, this is going to be a story we tell him in 15 or 20 years that he won't care about. <laughs> every time every time he misbehaves, it's like, do you remember you were kidnapped and we did everything we could to get you back? Don't make us regret that. Don't, don't make us. We, <laughs> we know where that couple lives. <laughs> They're in L.A. We will and take you back. You, whenever they're in Hawaii, we get together. <laughs> and they say, so how's our boy? He's not. We have to correct him. <laughs> Somehow we became best friends. We became best friends with the couple who adopted our stolen baby. <laughs> it was a wacky story. They did a Reader's Digest article about us. <laughs> it, was, it was on the sun. It was great. Yeah, fantastic. Central, give me Danny Williams. So Five-O still has to find this thie- baby thieving couple. They have... Oscar Goldman, but I guess he's not talking. And they have descriptions of Gar and Nina. And they kind of like, I think they have first name. They kind of know who they're looking for, but they don't know where they're looking for them. And so they get back and Che Fong has been very busy when he's not tapping phones. He has checked out the birth certificates and found out that, oh, hey, these markings fit a document forger that we know. Yeah, he does that typewriter thing. There's a break in the A. Yeah, that all that detail stuff that you don't really see anymore because nobody uses typewriters, yeah, but it happens bad. frequently on Five O. Mm-hmm. They so they go to talk to him, and what I love about this interrogation scene is that Chin Ho is smoking a pipe the whole time. Oh yes, that's right. <laughs> As they're giving this guy a hard time about who ordered these birth certificates, who did you make them for, and all that, and Chin Ho is just like being tough and smoking a pipe. Maybe he's been there before and he had the pipe and now he thinks, you know, like, this is my lucky pipe. Yeah, this I, this I, is I, a tried, I, the tried and true intimidation tactic. I will get my answers. Come on. No, Kiala, you come on. With your record, they'll throw the key away. Unless you cooperate with us and fast. 
Yeah, I like I like that scene with that guy. I do um, too. Because the zing at the end of it is a good one. Yes, because we find out that not only did he make another birth certificate, but the guy Gar has already picked it up that morning, yes. so they know that a another baby is in danger. Dun dun dun. It's, uh, it's really nice because well, he was he was just in here, you know, like uh, yesterday or whatever. So he's coming around to pick it up, and then there's a long pause, and you're thinking, oh, what's he going to say? And he yeah. says. He, he already picked it up. Yeah. And that is, I should point out, that our, our fun guy right there that they harass with Chin's pipe, that's Mo Kiale, and we will actually see him. He plays truck in the later seasons. He joins Five O. So I saw, I saw, you know, as, as I was kind of scanning through um, online, as I was scanning through uh, later episodes, I saw him in a screenshot. And I thought, isn't that the... Oh yeah. my gosh! The um, and I thought the uh, the printing guy's a recurring character. Yeah, he. I um, think after one time, stop. But no, he it was actually in eleven episodes before he became Truck. Al Harrington was actually in I can't remember for how many episodes, three or four episodes before he became Ben. So okay, that and Duke uh, Herman Wedemeyer did the same thing before he became Duke. So it's like we like you a lot. Here is a regular character. Yeah, and I appreciate nice. that. I appreciate that's that. That's nice. That's that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we have officially hit spoiler territory. Here we go. Here we go. Yep. So if you don't want to be spoiled for this episode, then check the timestamps and want to know when it's safe to start listening again because it's not safe right now. <laughs> Nina and Gar have to. They eat the baby. babies. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> It takes a Soylent no. Green turn. <laughs> it takes a really weird, but instead of the old people on conveyor belts, it's just baby it's after baby. Babies. They make baby. That's how they get baby oil and baby food. Anyway. <laughs> strained. Strained baby. Strained baby. Ugh. So, <laughs> uh, Nina and Gar have to steal another baby because they don't have enough money for Gar's boat. They have like ten thousand dollars or eleven thousand dollars or something like that, yeah, and it's fifteen. They're, they're like, yeah, they're like a couple thousand short. They can't steal half a baby, so right? They have to take a whole one. They have to take a whole Would baby. You take a baby and a half. And steal. And Gar doesn't want to steal the boat because he he because he they makes he makes a point of that earlier in the episode that he did, he wants to buy it outright because he doesn't want the Coast Guard crashing their Nirvana. So yes. they have to steal another baby. Nina's really un, not thrilled about it, but she goes along with it, and so she's. Going from house to house, pretending to be um, some kind of a charity worker. She's collecting money for babies with birth defects, or as mothers against birth defects. And I'm like, who? What mother is for birth defects? That is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> but <laughs> talk to my Annie Lane. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, Annie Lane. If you're listening, I'm kidding. If- Hi, I'm from the Women's March Against Birth Defects, and we're collecting money to research this terrible disease. Anything that you could give would be gratefully appreciated. So she she goes to this house, and she is wearing her yellow muumuu. When she talks to the mom, this lady, she opens the door. She sees the baby out on the lanai in a like a swing Johnny Jump or something or other. So she gets the mom to give her money. She goes to where Gar's staked out, tells Gar where the baby is so he can sneak up and get it. And it's great because where she squats down to talk to him while he's sitting in the car, he goes to open the door. And for like a hot second, I thought he was just going to hit Meg Foster with the door. Yes. Because yeah. of where she was sitting. Yeah, it is strange, slightly strangely blocked. Yeah. 
Yeah, like she needed to be like half a foot back a little bit. Yes. Because yeah. this is the 70s. Those car doors are like nine feet long. Yes. Um, because you're, you're cars were actually made of car. Yeah. Yes, and, exactly. <laughs> and so he go, gets out. He goes around the back. She distracts the lady again by saying, oh, I forgot to give you a receipt. Gives her the receipt. And when when mom goes to close the door, she steps away. And we can see that the baby is gone. Yes. That she that Gar is taking her. They realize something is up when he goes to call Oscar Goldman and Oscar yeah. Goldman won't take his call. But they're like, that doesn't matter. We can find somebody else who will take a baby. And I'm like, that's kind of sad that there are that many baby fences on the mainland. Yeah. Just check your little black book. Yeah. That's that's a booming business, apparently. Yeah. I almost felt kind of bad when they, you know, they've got they've stolen this baby and it's like this is this is the last one. Mm-hmm. No more. This is my last stolen baby. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he's in the background. You know, well, get him on the phone. Oh, no, we can't. And I almost felt bad for him for a second. Like, oh, darn it. I think just yeah. this one more. That's just all they need. Just one more. All, just to get their boat and their freedom. Yes. And that baby was pretty pissed, too. And she, <laughs> that baby was crying and doing the drooling crying. So it was all going down Meg Foster's arm. And I'm like, oh, that's acting. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that is that is good acting. Yeah, because I because I would have been like switching that baby and wiping that off. That bleh, bleh. Nope. <laughs> no. I don't need baby drool down my arm. That's just gross. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. Uh, but since Five O knows who they're looking who they're looking for, they know they're snatching another baby. They stake out the airports, and Nina and Gar decide to fake him out by Nina going in and buying a ticket. For a plane that's leaving in like 25 minutes. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Gosh, the seventies. I'm just, (laughs) I'm just going to think about that for a while Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you, that you can't do that anymore. No. Yeah. Cause they're boarding by that point. Yeah. Yeah. You can't get through security. Yeah. There's, there's no, even, even though there should be, there's no sort of rush to it. They're just, they're going separately so they can do their Mm. plan. And there's, there's no worry at all that we're not going to make the plane. Yeah. I would be. Oh my God! I'd be going goofball. I get there two and a half, three hours early, regardless. I get there ridiculous early times, but just to see them strolling in, I was anxious. You know, I didn't care if they got caught or not. I was wondering if they were going to catch the plane. Yeah, well, yeah, because back then they didn't even go through security, did they? they? They went through a metal detector. I think was the yeah, best they did. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So they and if, could... and if it went off, usually just waved them through. Don't yeah. worry about it. It's fine. That b- mm. bazooka will fit in the overhead. <laughs> because <laughs> i mean seriously they, there's like no chill or uh, nowadays there's no chill about getting to the airport it's all very stressful and then here it is they're just like oh yeah we've got 25 minutes to make our flight yes. we'll be fine. and we're smuggling a baby on top of it there there's could just you, no anxiety here could you imagine like if they did it today and they're like okay well we've got the baby we've got to get it there as quick as possible we've got reservations for a flight in two days and we'll be there three hours early yeah it's a little less suspenseful then we're going in 20 minutes. Well, especially okay, we since know. they would have to, they couldn't take the baby in a carry on like they did in this one. Yes. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the carry, they, the, somebody would notice it has to go through the x-ray machine. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's What is that? What is that? It's a big doll. Yes. Okay. Never mind that it's, you on. that it's breathing. It's fine. We're going to wave you on because once you get past here, it's not our, it's nothing yeah. to do with us. Not our problem. Not our problem. Not our problem. Sorry, but. So, yeah, Philo's got the place staked out. Ben actually stops a couple that might be suspicious, but they realize that it's not, they're, they're not the people they're looking for. 
Yes, that that was a fun moment because they just kind of look at each other. Was oops. Yeah, <laughs> and Ben's just like, "Oh, sorry, brother," and he's like, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> like, I don't think that's weird at all that I was nearly accosted <laughs> in an airport. They're just there's a different vibe in Hawaii, I guess. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. So Gar's waiting to plenty of crime though. Yeah, plenty of crime. Job security. Yes. Um, so Gar's waiting in line to buy his ticket, and he's got a backpack, and he's got the carry-on bag that's basically got the baby in it, and realizes that Steve recognizes him, and Nina yells at him at one point too, and yes. to warn him because that's not suspicious. And yes. though, of course, his name is Gar, so they could be like, "What is she yelling about fish for?" Yeah, exactly. There's no Gar here. Maybe she's, yeah, like he has a basket full of garfish or something yeah, like that. Something like that. So it tips him off. He goes to run. He ends up going up the escalator, throws one bag down. And I absolutely love this because, they're, so they're chasing him through this airport. Meanwhile, Chin Ho has accosted Nina and has taken her into custody. Mm-hmm. But Ben and, and Danny and Steve are chasing Gar. And he, at one point, because all he has left is the baby, is he takes it and he slides the bag. <sighs> at them like as a deterrent mm-hmm. and Danny like dives to to catch and stop. I'm like, what did you think was going to happen? Yeah. Like it wasn't near an edge of anything. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't throw it. it. You weren't chase. catching the baby. You he just literally slid it along the floor. That was <laughs> pretty heroic dive for something yeah. that wasn't that serious. The adrenaline gets going, you know. It's like <laughs> I, I I dived when I didn't have to. I know. Yeah. I, know you I got it. I got it. Baby's okay. Yeah. And I love that they chase him up. Mm. I, I've never been to LAX. I have no idea what the layout of this airport is. But mm. so, or I'm sorry, not LAX. This is Honolulu. I've never been uh, to that airport yeah. either. I have only <laughs> been to a handful of airports and none of them had anything like this where they get up and they're on like an upper level where they can go outside yes. yeah. and walk around. And he's running from cops. He's running from Steve. And at one point, not Steve, tackles him. Because it was clearly supposed to be Jack Lord's stump double, and it was clearly you were supposed to know it was Jack Lord's stump double, but unfortunately, the way the stunt was executed, you knew that it was Jack Lord's stunt double. And so that you realize you have no idea what's going on for a split second. You're like, yeah. wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, who is this random dude tackling Richard Hatch? Yeah. Until they bounce up, and then the you know the the cut changes, and it's like, oh, it was it was Steve. Never mind, it was Jack Lord. <laughs> It was just he looks I, different when he's doing action scenes. Yeah. And I, I did think for a second Gar was gonna like fall off one of the balcony I, things. I he, thought so too. And that's the thing is I've seen this one before and for some reason I thought that he biffed it, but I was wrong. <laughs> ben came in for the save and made sure he did not end himself to get out of trouble. That was for split second I thought, no, oh, let's let's not have him die. See his sprawled body on the tarmac. Ugh. Would that delay a flight back in 1972? I don't think so. No way. I think no they, they would just come out with like a couple of shovels. We can go around him. <laughs> All right. We'll just use this other runway real quick. We'll have it cleaned up in like 30 minutes. It's fine. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll use a pressure hose. We'll get them off of there. It'll be no, there's no no issue. Yeah, it's it's great. It's It's perfect. So, yeah, and then they, of course, when they arrest Nina and Gar... He's going. He's still saying that he was. They were going off. It wasn't about the money. It was about the freedom. Mm-hmm. And Steve is looking at him like he's an idiot because he's like, "You're going to jail. What kind of freedom yeah. are you going to have now?" Mm-hmm. And I feel yeah. that. Yeah, and it's it's a. Uh, 
I don't know how yeah how long you get put in prison for stealing a few babies. Probably a while. Oh yeah. But, yeah, I just feel rotten for him because yeah. all he all he could see was the ocean and everything, and now he's going to be. I think that's possibly what made me think like the way McGarrett says you're going to be in a six by nine or whatever the heck he says in the end, you know, box. Yeah. Uh, I, I that that's what made me think. Did they say something about him like being in Vietnam or something like that? And that's why he's so. Because he probably was. He probably uh, the was. Character probably was. So maybe somewhere where like just having the freedom, the open ocean before him is is all the freedom he wants. Yeah, I don't know what his hangup is. I do know that kidnapping is a federal offense, and that means you go to federal prison. So yeah. you're definitely not seeing ocean. No boats. Yeah. No, no boats, boats in federal no, prison. No. No boats in federal prison. That sounds like the name of a movie or something. Like a. <laughs> Like like an old man who gets sent away and all he all he dreams about is is having a boat, but they know he's never going to uh, they know he's never going to get out of there. Maybe that's a Coen Brothers film. No boats in federal prison. Yeah, about a man who dreams he he whenever he closes his eyes in the prison, which is in the middle of a desert or something, he sees himself on a boat. Actually, that sounds super cliched now that I said that, but um, <laughs> I'm not sure what from. <laughs> I have people talking in the next room. Sorry. Let's take another quick break from the chat and take a closer look at this guest cast. Eugene Goodman was played by Richard Anderson. He has 193 credits going back to 1947 on IMDb. Probably best known as Oscar Goldman on The Six Million Dollar Man and The Bionic Woman. He also played D.A. Glenn Wagner on Bus Stop. Lieutenant Drum on Perry Mason. Chief George Untermeyer on Dan August. Henry Towler on Cover Up, Buck Falmont on Dynasty, and he was the uncredited narrator on Kung Fu The Legend Continues. He also appeared in episodes of Zorro, Wagon Train, Law of the Plainsmen, The Untouchables, Thriller, The Rifleman, The Virginian, Dr. Kildare, The Lieutenant, The Man from Uncle, 12 O'Clock High, The Green Hornet, Mission Impossible, The Fugitive, Gunsmoke, Bonanza, The Wild Wild West, Mannix, Big Valley, Land of the Giants, Mod Squad, Alias Smith and Jones, Columbo, The Streets of San Francisco, The New Perry Mason, Cannon, Barnaby Jones, Ironside, The Love Boat, Fantasy Island, Charlie's Angels, Nero Wolf, Wiz Kids, the Fall Guy, Auto Man, The A-Team, Danger Bay, and Murder, She Wrote. He appeared in the movies Gettysburg, The Player, Black Eye, The Honkers, Doctor's Wives, Tora Tora Tora, The Ride to Hangman's Tree, Seconds, Kitten with a Whip, Compulsion, The Long Shot Summer, A Cry in the Night, Forbidden Planet, and The Vanishing Westerner. He appeared in the TV movies Along Came a Spider, Dead Man Tell No Tales, The Longest Night, The Night Strangler, Murder by Natural Causes, The Stepford Children, In the Lake of the Woods, and Perry Mason Returns. And he appeared in the miniseries Pearl, The French Atlantic Affair, and Cain and Abel. Gar was played by Richard Hatch. This is his first of three episodes. He's probably best known as Apollo on Battlestar Galactica. He also played Tom Zarek on the 2004 Battlestar Galactica reboot. He played Philip Brent on All My Children. Inspector Dan Robbins on The Streets of San Francisco. Stephen Slade on Santa Barbara. And Robert King on Personal Space. 
He also appeared in episodes of Room 222, Young Dr. Kildare, Kung Fu, Barnaby Jones, The New Perry Mason, Medical Center, The Rookies, The Waltons, Cannon, Fantasy Island, Murder, She Wrote, TJ Hooker, Dynasty, Riptide, Love Boat, MacGyver, Jake and the Fat Man, and Baywatch. He appeared in the movies Dead by Friday, Alien Hunger, Asylum of Darkness, Chatter, The Little Matchmakers, Inalienable, The Rainmakers, Iron Thunder, Ghetto Blaster, The Last Platoon, Prisoners of the Lost Universe, and Best Friends. And he appeared in the TV movies Dead Man's Curve, The Hustler of Muscle Beach, and The Hatfields and the McCoys. Nina was played by Meg Foster. This is her first of two episodes. She was Nora on Sunshine. She was also Detective Christine Cagney in six episodes of Cagney and Lacey. And she was Carla Grunualo on Ravenswood. She also appeared in episodes of Bonanza, Dan August, The Mod Squad, Young Dr. Kildare, Cannon, Medical Center, Barnaby Jones, The Six Million Dollar Man, Streets of San Francisco, Beretta, Miami Vice, The Hitchhiker, The Midnight Caller, The Trials of Rosie O'Neill, Quantum Leap, ER, Murder, She Wrote, Star Trek DS9, Sliders, Hercules, The Mentalist, The Originals, Pretty Little Liars, and Twin Peaks. She appeared in the movies Hellblazers, Jeepers Creepers 3, The Lords of Salem, Lost Valley, Space Marines, Shrunken Heads, Tripwire, The Stepfather 2, Leviathan, They Live, Masters of the Universe, and Reckless. She appeared in the TV movies The Death of Me Yet, Sunshine, Sunshine Christmas, James Dean, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, Desperate Intruder, and Desperate. And she appeared in the miniseries To Catch a Killer, The Scarlet Letter, and Washington Behind Closed Doors. Martin Emson was played by Jack Hogan. This is his first of six episodes. He was Kirby on Combat, Chief Ranger Jack Moore on Sierra, and Judge Smithwood on Jake and the Fat Man. He also appeared in episodes of Harbor Command, Have Gun, Will Travel, Sea Hunt, The Rebel, Peter Gunn, Bonanza, Ben Casey, The Rifleman, Hawaiian Eye, Ironside, Emergency, Adam-12, The Six Million Dollar Man, SWAT, Medical Center, Kojak, Quincy, M.E., Magnum P.I., Scarecrow and Mrs. King, Matt Houston, Riptide, The A-Team, Airwolf, and Raven. He appeared in the movies The Cat Burglar, The Legend of Tom Dooley, Paratrooper, Command, in the Bonnie Parker story, and he appeared in the TV movies, Houston, We've Got a Problem, The Rangers, The Specialists, and Mobile 2. Mrs. Emson was played by Brooks Almy. This is her third of four episodes. She also appeared in Two Doves and Mr. Heron and To Kill or Be Killed. Tom Parker was played by Mitch Mitchell. This is his seventh of 15 episodes. Acton was played by Mo Kiali. This is his fourth of 11 episodes before becoming Truck. The pediatrician was played by Sue McCollum Gervin. This is her third of five episodes. We also saw her in Dear Enemy and Air Cargo, Dial for Murder. The housewife was played by Jana Linden. This is her first of two episodes. She also appeared in an episode of Magnum P.I. The boat owner was played by Walter P. Young Sr. This is his third of six episodes. We also saw him in Not That Much Different and the late John Louisiana. Thomas Miller was played by Norman DuPont. This is his sixth of ten episodes. Mrs. Mills was played by Jane Adrian. This is her second of two episodes. We also saw her in Most Likely to Murder. 
And the newsman was played by George Groves. This is his third of five episodes. We also saw him in Nightmare Road and Pig in a Blanket. Our director, Corey Allen, has two directing credits for Hawaii Five-O. He also has directing credits for four episodes of Dr. Kildare, three episodes of The New People, five episodes of This is the Life, three episodes of Barnaby Jones, six episodes of Police Woman, three episodes of Police Story, four episodes of Quincy M.E., three episodes of The Rockford Files, three episodes of Stone, three episodes of Simon and Simon, three episodes of Wiz Kids, three episodes of Hill Street Blues, five episodes of Paper Chase, six episodes of Dallas, 13 episodes of Hunter, 5 episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, 4 episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and 12 episodes of 34 Capital. He also has directing credits for the movies Thunder and Lightning, Pinocchio, the 1971 version, and Avalanche. And he has directing credits for the TV movies The Search, Moment of Truth, Stalking Back, The Angelian Story, The Last Fling, The Man in the Santa Claus Suit, Yesterday's Child, Cry Rape, and See the Man Run. He also has 58 acting credits, including episodes of Gunsmoke, Half Gun Will Travel, Rawhide, Hawaiian Eye, Perry Mason, Bonanza, and Police Woman, and the movies The Big Caper and Rebel Without a Cause. Our writer, Larry Brody, has writing credits for three episodes of Hawaii Five-O. He also has writing credits for seven episodes of The Magician, four episodes of Barnaby Jones, four episodes of The Streets of San Francisco, three episodes of Police Story, six episodes of The Fall Guy, two episodes of Auto Man, three episodes of Partners in Crime, three episodes of Spider-Man the Animated Series, seven episodes of Spider-Man Unlimited, and 31 episodes of Bright Promise. He also has credits for the TV movies, The Night the City Screamed, and The Return of Mickey Spillane's Mike Hammer. He also has creator credits for David Cassidy, Man Undercover, which is a gem. He also has developed by credits for the Silver Surfer TV series, the Super Force TV series, and the Super Force TV movie. So that's that's the story of Gar and Nina. Yeah, it's a tragic a tragic tale of baby thieving yeah. gone wrong. It's funny, both these episodes, yeah, end with the couple almost getting there, but one's a wacky ending, and one's a sad, almost tragic one. Yeah, and I, I feel like of the two couples, the Lovejoys had the healthier relationship than yes. Garnina. Yeah. yeah, the the, the Lovejoys, uh, like, like we said, it just felt like they were a couple who were pulling maybe a, like a dirty, rotten scoundrels or something, you know, some kind of con on each other and, and just, oh, my God, you were trying to con me. I was trying to con you. Let's get married. And and they did it. Whereas, whereas Gar and Nina just feel like it may have been good at the start, but it's been slowly grinding into the ground. And they're yeah. only they're only keeping they're only keeping sort of sort of going by like Gar's enthusiasm and Nina's hope uh, for a better uh, tomorrow. It's yeah, Gar and Nina are pretty depressing, especially in comparison yeah, to the Lovejoys. Lovejoys, yeah, they they're the Lovejoys are soulmates. They were destined yes. to find each other, and yeah. Gar and Nina just they can't measure up. They're just really yeah. sad young lovers. I think. Yes. So. Well, I'm I'm out of here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, you have uh, nothing else about this episode or any episode. <laughs> I think I think I'm good. Yeah, I enjoyed Baby Stealers. Child Stealers, yes. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, like I said, it's one of those that it's a good episode, but it's not one that I like to rewatch very often. Yeah, I know. I know the type of episode when you're when you're going through the series, you're doing a rewatch, and you get to it and go, I I'm going to watch every episode, but I got to be in the right mood for this one. Yeah, I can't 
you know, if I if I binge it, I feel like I'd be doing it wrong because it requires attention. But I don't know if I can give that attention today. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much how it is. That's an accurate description. Well done. Since we have come to the end of things, and I am always so happy to have you. On, oh, it's a great time. It's always interesting to hear your feedback on these episodes because you don't watch the series. You haven't watched the series. You're only watching episodes I tell you to watch. And so you, <laughs> yes. it, you always come at a more with a very interesting perspective as yeah, no. compared to me who have, I've watched this series a couple of times now mm-hmm. and the earlier seasons a lot more often. So I always love, I love your feedback, you know, oh, thank you. Yeah, pukey I, little I, double crosser. <laughs> that's me. Yeah. I always look, I always look forward to being on here. It's a fun, you know, whenever you contact me and say, Dan, Five oh five after four, and I said you got it, <laughs> and I never knew what you meant until today. Yeah, no, I mean it, that's the thing. We're always surprising each other, always yes. learning new things. Good times, good times. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, where can we find you online when you're not hanging out with me? I am. Uh, I have a podcast called Eventually Super Train, which you may have been on at one point or another, or two or three or four. <laughs> uh, it's it's a it's a uh, it, Eventually Super Train dot dot com. Or eventually, Super Train on Facebook at Super E Super Train One on Twitter. We're on Spotify. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. It's eventually Super Train. It's a short-lived TV show podcast. At this moment, we are covering Max Headroom, the the American Max Headroom Monster Squad and Partners in Crime. So it's it's a good time. And uh, then I also have some offshoot. I have, I have, a, I have a podcast called uh, Rockin' All Week With You, which is a Happy Days podcast. We are about to start uh, season eight, the first of the post-Richie seasons. And, um, yeah, I'm also on a podcast called Made for TV Show with the great Amanda Reyes and Nathan Johnson. And, um, yeah, and I have a, a couple books uh, out, uh, uh, 80s action movies on the cheap, from Beverly Hills to Hooterville, exploring TV's Henningverse, and Lady Skull, 1980s Trash Horror Odyssey. You can find... Leading Skulls Out of Print, unfortunately, the other two you can find online. They're great and enjoy them and have fun. And thank you again for having me on for my annual visit to the 5 and Hawaii. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> Hawaii. That's what I was doing. I was saying Hawaii, but I was saying like Hawaii. Well, you know, you were you were running it through the shtick machine. <laughs> it went through the shtick machine, came out broken and, and battered and guard, all guard up. <laughs> it was all guard up. But you know what? This, this Your appearances are never guard up, Dan. I am always so happy to have you here. Thank you for joining me once again. You know, I don't mean to sound uh, critical, but um, have you people ever heard of the pill? And that is episode 58 of Bookham Dano. Two really good episodes both featuring um, criminal married couples, but the tonal shift is just so different. If you watch these back to back, the shift is liable to drop your transmission. Thank you once again to Dan Budnick of Eventually Super Train for chatting my favorite episode with me. He is always such a good sport and I'm always happy to have him on. It's always a good time when the two of us get together. Please, please, please check out all of his podcasting ventures and buy all of his books. He's just phenomenal all the way around. And of course, thank you for listening. You know, I always appreciate your ears. And as always, apologies for the background noise. It is now a Pavlovian response whenever I get this microphone out. Everyone is going to be loud as hell. 
If you'd like to find me online, you can do that by going to akakikiwrites.com. It is the home of Bookum Dano. You can also find me at my blog, kikiwritesabout.com. And if you need my baby thieving thoughts in real time and you can't find me on the hell site formerly known as Twitter, you can find me on Blue Sky at Kiki Writes. So be careful whose briefcase you steal and put that baby back. Until next time. Aloha.